Coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Wednesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today I've got Tom Peavy and Cam Berry with me here on another beautiful Wednesday afternoon. We will have a lot in store for you on this Wednesday, including a little bit more breakdown, again, of the uh, Auburn coaching staff being completed we also want to preview Auburn basketball's next game as Auburn basketball gets set to take on Vanderbilt tonight inside of Neville Arena as the Tigers trying to get back on their, to their winning ways of prior to these last couple of road games. Uh, we'll also get uh, a little bit more into the NFL, too. We talked AFC Championship game yesterday. We had talked about the Lions' point of view and the NFC side of things on Monday. Still need to get to the 49ers' point of view a little bit, too. So if we have some time, we'll get to that. And, of course, we want to hear from you on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1 at 888-9-TIGER-9. Also returning as our birthdays and sports segment. So that will be coming up here in just a few minutes. It'll be usually earlier than later in most of these shows. So we'll have birthdays and sports returning in just a little while as well. Ryan, Tom, and Cam with you here on this Wednesday. TP Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls. We'll start with you, Cam Barry. How has your week been so far? Been good. Been a very, very good week. Um, very, very busy, honestly. Um, my body's a little sore as well. Um, but obviously, big news coming out of Auburn. Uh, just kind of been thinking about and processing that. Um, honestly, just uh, with the hiring of, of DJ Durkin as the uh, defensive coordinator. Um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of 50-50 on it. Obviously, there's the stuff that looms about the, the – uh, the Maryland things that happened with uh, with Durkin and, and things like that, um, you know, with the player passing away under his watch. Um, but, um, you know, just in doing some research and, and Ryan informing me of some things as well, um, you know, not all of that was entirely his wrongdoing. Um, you know, obviously it is his football program, so, you know, he, he does – you know, have some decision and say in, in a lot of things, but at the end of the day, there were some other factors that played a part into it as well. Um, no excuse, obviously, for a pair, player passing away at the end of the day, but um, you know, there, there's other context to also take into account. Um, you know, on the X's and O's side of things, um, you know, in my opinion, his defenses were okay, um, and um, you know, I. I I guess we'll just have to see if it works out, really. The Texas A&M defense was pretty decent, so I will give credit to that. Uh, and, and we'll just have to see uh, see how it how it ends up playing out on the field. Um, but I'm doing great. Ready to talk a little bit of Auburn basketball as well and uh, and and uh, preview this, this Vanderbilt game and uh, talk about how the Tigers can get back into the win column in SEC play. And then Tom Peavy with us again on this Hello. Wednesday. No wacky Wednesday today. This time last <laughs> week we were all very nervous, but uh, good to see you again, my friend. Yeah, glad to be back. And, uh, yeah, uh, kind of ready to, to rehash uh, some of everything that we've talked about throughout the week. And uh, I'm excited for birthdays and sports because I get to do my little yes. thing. And uh, so if you hear my computer clicking away, it's because I'm doing research. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, nice day outside too. It's uh, not too cold, not too hot. Yeah. Just kind of like right there in the uh, the Goldilocks zone, I guess you could call it, of weather. So, uh, but yeah, ready to, ready to get to talking about all this fun stuff going on. Yeah, and a couple other things I, I failed to mention in the open that we need to get to. Need to get to what's going on with Tennessee yeah. and the NCAA at some point today. Uh, as more NIL violations and some lawsuits now coming to fruition. So we'll see uh, the latest on that. We'll get to Tennessee stuff in a little while. Also, there was the seventh NFL head coach hired today uh, by the Seattle Seahawks, leaving just one vacancy. So we have time. We'll update you on that, too. But let's get going today on this Wednesday edition of the program. Let's start by talking a little bit about Auburn basketball as they get set for a date with Vanderbilt tonight. Uh, inside of Neville Arena, an 8 o'clock game. The Tigers playing what hopefully will be one of the easiest games in conference play. Now, we know it's college basketball. We know uh, what can happen. Obviously, more upsets last night. There are upsets almost every single night of college basketball, all conference slate long, and, and that was not confined or that was not confined to the SEC or outside the SEC as, of course, one of them was we talked yesterday about the Sports Call 5 at 5 by Southeastern Land Group, presented by Southeastern Land Group, and it was uh, about the two lost teams were better in the SEC, one of them being Tennessee, one of them being South Carolina, and, well, South Carolina went into Thompson Bowling Arena and defeated the Tennessee Volunteers. And so uh, you can never take anything for granted. But but Auburn, heavy favorites against Vandy. I remember retired William Steve asked us for a line yesterday. Uh, He said 14-15, somewhere in there. I said 18-19, pushing the 20. It is indeed just that. It is 19-and-a-half. The Tigers are favored by against the Commodores tonight. So, gentlemen, your thoughts as Auburn tries to right the wrongs of last week. Yeah, a good opportunity for a get-right game if you're Auburn. You're back home in, a, in your comfortable environment. You got a late tip, so there should be a very um, there should be a, a certainly decent, probably full crowd in um, Neville Arena. Uh, obviously, the student section will be rocking, of course. Uh, so you'll you'll be able to benefit from that. Uh, get back to playing your style of basketball. Hopefully, uh, fix a little bit of the shooting woes that seem to have plagued the team the last two uh, games, especially from three. Uh, see it. See if you can't get back on track with that. Uh, defense has continued to be pretty decent, honestly, for both sides. I know, you know, Alabama was a pretty high scoring uh, is a pretty high scoring team already, but you were able to to really keep up with them in Coleman Coliseum. So. Uh, I, I wouldn't uh, put too much stock into how much they scored there. But, um, yeah, just an opportunity to, to get get back on track. Uh, I want to see Jalen Williams get back into his, uh, into, into his comfortability. Uh, just has had a rough uh, shooting stretch the last couple of games uh, and, and get comfortable. Same with Aiden Holloway. Just kind of want to see them get – get back on the on the right track on the right side of things and um yeah play your game again Vanderbilt uh, I mean this couldn't have been a better oppor- a better time for this to happen you just lost two in a row now you get to kind of face an easier opponent in Vanderbilt who uh you you've already beaten um once in in uh at their place so now you get to have them here excuse me at home and uh and, and hopefully be able to pull out a win Tom, what about you? Any specifics that you're looking toward for this uh, Auburn team tonight against Vandy? Uh, the the main thing is is take care of business. Uh, there's no reason that Auburn should struggle against Vanderbilt. There's no reason that they should definitely lose to Vanderbilt in their in Neville Arena. Um, 
just guys that have not been on track need to get back on track, uh, as Cam kind of alluded to there. That's the main thing that I want to see. I want to see Jalen Williams get back to his scoring ways. I I, I want to see uh, I want to see Aiden Holloway show that he can actually be the five star point guard that everybody expects out of him. <clears throat> I want to see Dylan Carwell be able to play more than six minutes without picking up four fouls. Uh, you know those things. Some of those fouls were rough. I will say. Well, well but I mean, they, they may have been, but the simple. Called, yeah, but. Well, I mean, and it may have been, but the simple fact is he played six minutes and had four right. fouls with zeros across the Absolutely. board on everything else. I mean, you just can't do that. Yeah, that. Um, and so that's that's the thing is, uh, whatever fix whatever that has been ailing this team uh, over the last two weeks, uh, get it fixed and get some more momentum going. Get some positive momentum going towards games that are going to be tough again. This, yeah. this should not be a tough game. Auburn should be able to handle this, take care of business, and get some little more positive momentum going because, yeah, it's another tough stretch right after this. They're going to Ole Miss on Saturday, and that they are undefeated at home. So that'll be a, absolutely a tough matchup. So you got to get the wins when you can. Well, and, and look, let me compare uh, – before I get into the specifics of the Vandy game, let me compare this game to what's ahead for Auburn. Okay, because the month of January has had some of the easiest games Auburn will have. The other exception is in the month of March, Auburn goes to Missouri. Missouri has also been incredibly uh, worrisome in the league play. They have not won yet in the yeah, SEC. They're uh, yeah, 0-7 in the league. In the month of February, this is Auburn's schedule. At Ole Miss this weekend, Ole Miss, of course, is still 18-3 and overall. Host Alabama, which, of course, back in Neville Arena, but nevertheless the first team to beat in SEC play. At Florida, who's 14-6, and six, is on track to at minimum be on the bubble. Hosting South Carolina, who deserves to be a top 25 team now. They're 18-3. and three. Hosting Kentucky, who's 10th in the country. At Georgia, who's also probably uh, headed to the NCAA tournament or at minimum the bubble. That's, again, a road game. And then at Tennessee, who is number five, they will probably fall a couple spots after their loss, but still probably in the top 10. So, again, you're going to play at home two, probably three ranked teams, just depending on where South Carolina is come Valentine's Day. And then on the road, you're going to play an 18-3 and undefeated at home Ole Miss team this weekend. A 14-6 and Florida team who's very tough to beat at Florida, especially yeah, for say, Auburn. I think they only have like one loss at home mm-hmm. themselves. At a Georgia team who has made uh, pretty significant strides in year two under Mike White. And at a Tennessee team who I still deem as good as any in the SEC. That's your February. You tell me the really easy game that you're 100% sure will not be a problem. <laughs> there ain't one. Right? Not- <clears throat> because, it, look, even the home games, I get it. I, I do think Auburn's still better than South Carolina. I think Auburn is is comparable, just a little bit better than Alabama. And I think Auburn and Kentucky are, are somewhere on the same level, too. However, again, I just told you same level or near the same level for those games. And those are the home games. And then the road games, yeah, I think Auburn's better than Florida, but – you know what road games mean. Yeah, yeah. Auburn cranked Ole Miss, but let's see it on the road too. A team that will have lost two in a row on the road going into that Ole Miss game. Uh, Auburn at Georgia. It's a rivalry game. Georgia at that time of the year might be very desperate for a big win to lock themselves in the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, at Tennessee will always be difficult with how good Tennessee is. That's your February. Then there you only have three games in March. You host Mississippi State. Okay, I feel better about that. I know they just lost the state, but that's at home. You go to Missouri. That's about the weakest road game you can have in the league aside from Vanderbilt. And then you host Georgia. So yeah, your March ain't bad. Your your March is three very palatable games. But your February, you will be tested night in, night out. So 
Auburn needs to play very good basketball tonight. It does not mean they will be destined for excellence in February, but it will at least make them feel better going into what will be a very tenacious month. And so this is a team you already beat by 15 at their place. And again, it was not a fluky win. They were up 17 at half. They kind of sparred a little bit back and forth in the second half. Auburn got the 20 a couple times. Uh, Vandy got down 12 or so a couple times, but really the result was not in doubt. Uh, it was just a true 15, 16, 17 type point of game. And so that's why the line is what it is, that you're expected to win by a few more points at home. And I would expect that out of Auburn, too. So, again, I, I expect them to shoot the ball better tonight. I expect them to score way the hell more than 58 points that they did in Starkville. Unfortunately, I do treat this with all due respect to Vandy. I know it's an SEC game. I know anything's possible. North Carolina, who's number three in the country, lost to a below 500 team last night in the ACC for their first conference loss. Can- Kansas lost to uh, an 8-11 at the time West Virginia team. So, again, these things can happen, but still, those are at least on the road. And so I would say there's no easier thing that you could have in the power conference play right now than have a 5-14 and 14 team come into your building that you already cranked by 15 on their, on their home court. So I hate to say it that way, but given all those factors, this to me kind of feels like one of your non-conference group of five games in college football where it's like, yeah, you can sure mess this up and feel awful, but if you win it, I'm not exactly going to say everything's fixed, don't have any care in the world. Like ultimately, Auburn will have to win some road games of some consequence before we say they've turned a different corner. And look, this is also, too, I think Bruce Pearl, uh, Bruce Pearl messaged this a little bit in the media yesterday, that, look, before yesterday, before last week, he was saying, be cautious. There will be some losses. This is basketball. Unfortunately, the opinion swayed so negative after the two losses that now he's having to say yeah, yesterday, had to, had to everybody needs to calm down and <laughs> yeah. that this is a part of it. Uh, we, I told you we weren't elite, but we also don't suck. So calm down. We'll figure this out. We're going to work at it every day. These guys work their tails off. We'll figure it out. Uh, and so I think that's, again, that's the proper stance that, yeah, they they will have to win some games of consequence. They still do not have a quad one victory. Right. That will hurt them in seeding. If yeah. you look at Joe Lenardi's seeding, they are a four, which is consistent with the number 16 team in the country. But other fans might know a team like Alabama is currently a three seed, and that's because of all the quad one opportunities they have. And so uh, Auburn will need to win some of these games. They will have all the opportunities in the world in February, and I'm sure they will get some of them. But uh, this game is unfortunately not going to tell me a whole lot about long-term stuff, but there are things that could end up, if you look back on it, say this is the moment things turned around. Again, it's going to be hard to prove it until you actually do it at Ole Miss and do it against Alabama and do it against Kentucky, etc. But you need, as you guys said, like Aiden Hallway needs to have a good shooting game. Yeah. Like It's just something that needs to happen at some point because, again, uh, I hate to keep riding the kid. But he is 32.6% from the field. Like He is getting dangerously close to just 30% from the field. That I'll tell you what, that's unplayable. Yeah, that's 30% is unplayable. So I know he's got way more in him than that. I know his talent is still incredibly high. We all know that. But at some point, the production's got to be there. So this is the time to have a nice Aiden Holloway game. It doesn't have to be 30 points. It's not how the college game works. Ah. But have a four out of seven from three point type of night. You get you 14 to 16 points, four out of seven from three, feel good about it, and, and you move on. Uh, 
I still want a single game in SEC play uh, where Denver Jones has a double-digit game. Again, just I know you did it at will at FIU, but it's the same problem I think that Alan Flanagan had when he was still at Auburn. He has to work himself in a rhythm, and the only way he does that is with a high quantity of, of shots. Yeah. And that's just not going to happen with this team. So I need Denver, or I would like to see out of Denver, be able to find a better way to get you really clean looks and take advantage of a, again, I said four for seven from three for eight, and just a four for seven shooting night for Denver overall, or a five for eight. It's going to probably still be single-digit shots, but make the most of those opportunities. Take good shots. He usually does take good shots. To be fair to Denver Jones, he does not usually jack up a bunch of contested threes. You know, Katie's, Katie Johnson, half of his threes are step-back contested yeah, he's threes. Doing that. That's right, that's, that is his shot. But Denver usually takes high-quality quality shots take advantage of those high quality shots and then the last thing i want to see is i know again this will not speak to long-term proof that you're awesome auburn has to rebound the basketball better Absolutely. Uh, they got smoked on the glass against mississippi state mississippi state just kind of overwhelmed them with physicality uh and it was not just one dude it was not just tolu smith they or someone it was class. it was Cam everybody Matthews, they, yep. were, they were crashing and so look i understand that again vanderbilt is not exactly the most formidable team uh in many different uh avenues and that auburn out rebounded this team by nine but it's another one that when they played earlier this year. But if it's a deal where Vandy only gets out rebounded by two or three, like that's not good enough in this type of game. Auburn needs to out rebound them by 10, 15 rebounds tonight. The, the way that Mississippi State out rebounded Auburn the other night. So those are the things I'm looking for. Again, I, I won't leave this game tomorrow, even if Auburn wins 90 to 50 tonight. I'm not going to tell you tomorrow, hey, automatically Auburn's going to be so good in Oxford this weekend. But I do think it's a prereq to it because if you struggle at home against Vandy after the week you just had last week, you're gonna you're gonna have to have a mental fortitude test mm-hmm. of have you lost your confidence? Uh, do do you believe in yourself on the road? Do you have the doubt like this isn't as easy anymore because we're in the heart of conference play? You will have to check some mental hurdles if you do play poorly tonight. So that's why I'm hopeful that things will come together and they will uh, be the team we saw the first three to four to five conference games because again the stretch will be grueling and if they don't play at least b plus to a minus basketball in the month of february they could lose almost any any game yeah uh and and it, it will only get tougher from here so feel good about yourself leaving this game even if it does not mean necessarily every problem is fixed at least fix a confidence and a mindset thing that no everything's good we know who we are. We know we can score 90 points in any game. We know we can hold you to 65 in any game and, and kind of take it from there. We're going to head to our first commercial break of the show. When we come back, we'll return our birthdays and sports segment. We'll also get to the orthopedic clinic phone line. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say Alexa, 
Play Sports Call Auburn. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday. T.P. Hammock is running the board and taking your phone calls on this Wednesday afternoon. And second segment of the show is when we used to do the birthdays and sports segment, and we did that for a couple years, and then we uh, didn't do it during the football season just because of how hectic and how many things there usually are to talk about. But uh, kind of a bittersweet day because, of course, we mean that means we're getting outside of the – uh, football season now but we are about to return the birthdays and sports segment we've always been doing that on our social media with uh, with several different uh, graphics that we usually put out each and every day uh, and that sort of thing but uh, we have continued to do the birthdays and sports graphic but now let's go ahead and get back to the segment birthdays and sports it's time for today's birthdays and sports all right, birthdays in sports today. Nolan Ryan uh, turned 77. Former pitcher in Major League Baseball. Ryan considered by many to be one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Ryan's career started in 1966 and ended in 1993 with stints with the New York Mets, California Angels, Houston Astros, and Texas Rangers. Throughout his career, Ryan put up an incredible number of strikeouts, 5,700 plus strikeouts and seven-time champion alongside being an 11-time strikeout leader. His number 30 retired by the Angels, number 34 retired by the Astros, and number 34 retired by the Rangers while being a member of those teams' Hall of Fames. In 1999, Nolan Ryan was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And uh, he attended Alvin High School in Texas. Alvin, Texas, go Yellow Jackets. So Nolan Ryan, 77. There you go. Doug Peterson is 55, current coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Peterson got his start playing football for Northeast Louisiana, now known as Go the, Indians. Now known as the University of Louisiana Monroe, where, he, where he was the star quarterback. <laughs> he went undrafted, played from 1991 to 2004 as a player. He won a Super Bowl as a member of the Green Bay Packers, then joined the coaching ranks under the help of Andy Reid. Eventually landed the Philadelphia Eagles head coaching job and won Super Bowl 52 against the Patriots in 2020. Peterson was let go by the Eagles and 2022 signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars to be their head coach. Doug Peterson is 55 today. And before he was at Northeast Louisiana, he was at Ferndale Washington High School. Go go Golden Eagles. Ugh. Golden Eagles, okay. Yes. Uh, makes sense that he became the Eagles head coach. Then there you day. go. Vernon Davis is 40, former tight end in the NFL. Davis was selected six overall in 2006 NFL draft out of Maryland. Go Terrapins. By the San Francisco 49ers. With the 49ers, Davis was a two-time Pro Bowler, second-team All-Pro, and led the NFL in receiving touchdowns in 2009. Won a Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos in 2015 and joined the then-Washington Redskins to finish his career. He finished his career with over 7,500 receiving yards and 63 touchdowns. He went to high school at Dunbar in Washington, D.C. 
Yuck, go Crimson Tide. Whoa. Ugh. All right, uh, we'll move on then. Vernon Davis is 40. <laughs> Mario Williams is 39 today, former defensive end in the NFL. Williams was selected first overall by the Houston Texans in the 2006 draft coming out of NC State. The Wolfpack. Williams had successful stints with Texas, with the Texans and the Bills. He is a three-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, and four-time Pro Bowler. Williams finished his career with 97 and a half sacks, 30, 399 tackles, 16 forced fumbles. This number nine is honored at NC State. Uh, out of Richland's High School in North Carolina, go Wildcats. Wildcats and Mario Williams is 39 today. Those are the birthdays in sports. As Nolan Ryan turned 77, Doug Peterson 55, Vernon Davis 40, and Mario Williams 39. With that, let's take a trip to the orthopedic clinic phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the orthopedic clinic phone line, Lord Damn Steve. Retired Ward Damn Steve is with us. Steve, how are you today? I'm feeling much better, guys. Thanks for taking my call as always. And I say, you know, it's holy crap two times. Uh, I know you guys already talked about it, but I watched it last night and was happier than if uh, Auburn had won all these games. I could not believe it that South Carolina went to Tennessee. Uh, and I think I remember the announcer said that Tennessee had not lost a home game since, to South Carolina since 2008, I think. That would not surprise me. Yeah. That would not surprise me. Uh, that, that, that to me was just astounding. And I was afraid, of course, that they're going to choke, but they, 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 they did it. And then the really teams, I thought, there's no way they're going to, they're going to choke. And they almost did it, but they Georgia Tech, a 3-7 and seven in their conference, and 10-11 overall, and they take down number three, UNC. It happens. They, they also had beaten That's Duke. That's what I thought about, Tom. I thought about you. I said, it really does happen. Yep. Yeah. They, they'd also beaten Duke this year. So, uh, yeah. How is that even plausible, guy? Guys, I mean, a 10-11 team, and I know my son brought to my attention with a lot of those losses, they were close yet, but still, you don't have a talent level, do you? Do they? Uh, yeah, I mean, North, North Carolina is way better than Georgia Tech. So is Duke. But, again, it is basketball. It is not football. These, these things happen. So, okay, my, my son keeps reminding me of this. So no matter if you've got a bunch of five stars and one of them players on your basketball team, you just can't outpower them like you nope. do, uh, and outplay them, outtalent them like you do uh, in college. No, nope. uh, yeah, again, yeah, that, that's just you got to put the ball in the basket. I mean, if yeah. you remember, if you remember the NCAA tournament. Uh, well, I mean, just one specifically, but I mean, it happens all the time in the NCAA tournament. But remember, Mercer beat Duke. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, that's not even the biggest upset anymore because you had sixteen well, beat yeah. ones. I mean, yeah. yeah, you've you've had all sorts of it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, you need to consider maybe a sideline job, I think, Ryan, of being an odds maker. Because <laughs> you were right on the button. They were 19 and a half. I think maybe 19 and a half or 20 points by now. I don't know. Yep, what 19 and a half. Yep. Uh, uh, I'm not going to take this game, of course, easily. But, you know, I agree with you. If we beat them on the road by 15 points, surely we can beat them by 20 points at home, right? Yeah, I mean, again, that that should be the thinking. Obviously, we know you, you play it for a reason, but uh, that's my expectation for them tonight is they, they need to be able to win this game fairly easily, and they also need 
their offense to look good doing it. So, again, I as I said in the open, uh, even if they win this game by our, our wildest dreams, win by 40, 45 points, just something absolutely obliterating, that still doesn't necessarily make me think they're just going to roll into Oxford and play the same way. But uh, certainly if they play a poor game, then I'm going to be a little bit more skeptical of their confidence level uh, and just the overall momentum with the team having to take on an Ole Miss team that continues to be uh, an excellent home team. And still, I mean, the 18-3 and three overall, it's nothing to be trifled with. So uh, they, they need this game to kind of change the mindset and change the momentum a little bit. About that Ole Miss team, guys, uh, I know bad things have happened to you on the road, but I was, I was just reminded uh, that Ole Miss barely won by one point. Was it to Mercer? Uh, UMass Lowell. UMass, yeah. And that team is 0-22. Oh, Detroit Mercy was that one. Yeah. yeah. yeah Detroit They're Mercy. 0-22. Yeah. I said, wow. Uh, if that's you know how they struggle with that kind of a team, Surely, we should have a a pretty good chance of beating Ole Miss. But again, Steve, I mean, you can't just pinpoint one game as their lowest low and say, "Oh, well, then that's how capable of, of being poor they are." They're also capable of being good. I mean, they did just beat Mississippi State last night, right after Mississippi State yeah, beat Auburn. Me. So again, you, you can't really do the transitive property. Uh, in, in sports, and especially not in more random outcome sports like basketball. And when we get in the baseball season, it'll be the, the exact same thing. So, look, I still have questions about how great of a team Ole Miss is. And, look, Auburn already thumped Ole Miss at Neville Arena. But it's it's a completely different setting uh, to have to go on the road. It changes things greatly. Uh, and I, I would just not – I would I would not think it's it, – in fact, it will not go like it did in Neville Arena. It will be a close game one way or the other. And you made some comments earlier, and I, I didn't – that struck me uh, that uh, Coach Earl took the time and effort to publicly um, – I don't know, does he try and get the attention of his team? Uh, that, hey, you know, people criticizing you, you know, and they're really, you know, uh, they're just, you know uh, – down, you know, just browbeating you guys, you know, but y'all need to pay attention to it, you know. Um, I, I didn't see why he needs to do that. Uh, people are going to say, oh, crap, you know, on posts, you know, on social media. And then he goes on to say, we're going to lose some more games. I said, really? You need to say that, you know, as well? How about saying, hey, um, you know, it's going to be a tough a struggle for the remaining of the games, but we hope to win uh, a lot of them. But instead he says, we're going to lose some more games, guys. I said, wow, uh, I really want to hear that one. Again, he's talking to the fans to – Make sure your expectations are reasonable because, again, this pe- again people have acted, uh, and I, I've seen it too, uh, very doom and gloom after the losses, after being so sky high to think they may never lose again. And again, and again, as we've seen, that's just not how this sport works. You play too many games. There are too many upsets. Uh, the, the way that you win games is too different. And that is just the reality of it. And so uh, I, I know you said you don't want to hear uh, that him say that they're going to lose more games, but that is the truth. Auburn is not going to run the table. Uh, and for that matter, I'm going to break the news. Really, no one in the SEC is going to run the table from this point forward. There's still too many games. Someone could go on a six- or seven-game win streak. They're not winning 12 in a row. So that that's just how the sport works. So – uh, I think he's just messaging to people that are not understanding the way this sport works. Like, hey, uh, you know, because he did it the week before. He said, 
uh, you know, we're not as good as maybe our record says we are. And when when everybody was saying, "Oh, this team's just absolutely incredible," so he's been trying to set the expectations properly, uh, and and I don't blame him for that because it can be easy to uh, get really too high in the highs and get really too low in the lows, and and that's that's usually what social media does. And and maybe he knows that some of his players have seen some of it, and if you've seen it, then it's probably a good idea too to publicly talk about it a little bit. But uh, again, I think that it's not unfair for him to try to set the the expectations to realistic. Okay, fine. I guess I'm I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking, you know, these uh, student athletes flowers, you know, uh, players be football or basketball. Do they really have that thin skin that they make it matter? what the idiots post, you know, on social media? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But, I, I again, I still think that it's still worth telling the people out there, like, again, why, why would you just be cool with hate on, on social media at the same time? Like, even if it's not getting to the players, like, does that make you comfortable to see people that don't understand the process then – being all doom and gloom and 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 blaming this that and the other thing like I'm not sure that even if you even if you are able to deflect it or bounce off of it I'm not sure that you're just okay with a bunch of that flying like you'd rather unfortunately this world's not perfect but I think that if you feel that you can do something to influence it in a positive way I think you should still do that. No, Ryan, you're correct. I don't. I do not condone. I do. I care uh, for people whether they're all the fans or uh, to you know call out players, you know, they wouldn't do it in person, I, I hope, you know. Now, when I make comments and hear about what I'm upset about, um, I'm not I'm, I'm not calling people names or, or down but I'm just questioning, okay, uh, Coach, how come you're not calling timeouts? Sure, I mean, you know, and you're, or, you're questioning the, the reasoning and the why behind of it, and, and that's totally fine. Uh, it's just some of these people make it personal on, on – and these other avenues of social media, and, and and when you make it personal, that's when it, it it's becoming too much. Okay, so you you know we're talking about why some of the players are not performing like what we'd hoped and thought they would. Well, I came across an article, guys. You can read for yourself. It's pretty involved, done by a, uh, a neuropsychologist who's also a sleep expert. You can find the article. It's called. Uh, you can go to the website. It's called theconversation.com. He's a professor, and um, I think it's from Temple University. Anyway. He talks about how sleep apparently plays a very important role in how well athletes play or don't play. In fact, he said his research, uh, after evaluating 3.8 million cases, uh, he says here that good sleep accounts uh, for a great deal of either poor playing or good playing. And he says sleep deficits have been linked to decreased performance in a variety of sports including football, basketball, and baseball. He says what happens is you have to get, he said athletes need to get at least eight to nine hours of sleep. So please, if you have any way of telling Bruce Pearl this, you know, make sure that he get that kind of sleep because he said that leads to a well-rested brain and it's sort of like a uh, cleaning out uh, your uh, dishwasher, you know, or, or giving a thorough cleaning because then when you get that much sleep, it improves your decision-making, your response, motor coordination, so you don't get these stupid, you know, sloppy plays that we see our team do at times, doing other teams do it, you know, that lead to upsets. And this has really uh, gone to my attention. He said, after evaluating 3.8 million cases of concussions, 
uh, annually, he found that studies have shown that sleepy athletes are three times more likely to suffer concussions. Hmm. Yeah, I would I not have made that link. So anyway, uh, so he just uh, talks about that. And uh, then we go on to the rumors that you talked about. Is there more scathing scandal coming out on Tennessee? Uh, I, not not specifics yet. Uh, again, we know it's revolving the quarterback, uh, the recruitment of their quarterback from last year, uh, and the specifics I was going to get into were about them uh, suing the NCAA. But uh, I mean, it's going to be a while before there's too many specifics. Okay, um, and a big shout out to Mr. Janiah Broom. He made the uh, I guess the top twenty for the uh, John Wooden uh, uh, presentation award, right? He's a top twenty watch list, guys. Yes, yes, and uh, of course that's the the most coveted individual basketball player award in the sport. When do they usually make that known? Is it after the uh, NCAA tournament or before? Uh, I, I think it's during the tournament. I think it's like very early on, uh, first rounds of the tournament. I could be wrong on that, but I, I don't think it's. I don't think they wait till after the season. I think it is uh, amidst some of that. Okay. Um, Another article you guys may uh, listen to may want to look up is, again, it comes from theconversation.com. These are written by professors in their field. And it's entitled, How Black Male College Athletes Deal with Anti-Black Stereotypes on Campus. Um, it's written by a assistant professor of sports management from Temple University. It's a really good read about, because uh, I didn't know how the, the percentages is of, uh, of black males who attend. But he says here, black men represent... 6% of total college students in the U.S. at four-year public universities. Get this, though. They represent 45% of football players and 51% of men's basketball players. And then he says, overall, black men represent 12% of all Division I college athletes, excluding historically black colleges and universities. And then he goes on to say, one in six black male students are athletes compared to one in 50 white students. I said, wow, what a discrepancy. Yet, they are only 6% of the total college students. So anyway, he talks about how many uh, he did a lot of, um, he, he surveyed uh, of black male athletes in different uh, sports throughout uh, the U.S. Uh, he had them for uh, one to two years uh, record how they dealt with uh, uh, anti-black issues and racism and how many of them. You know, anyway, it's a pretty lengthy article, but it's just an interesting reading. I thought I'd bring it to your attention. All right, guys, uh, did you see that Jim Harbo is a nice little contract he got? I did not see the particulars. I imagine he will be making a lot. Uh, do you want to take a guess or do you want to go ahead and tell you? Uh, seven, eight million a year, somewhere in there? Yeah, you're not even warm. Ten million a year? Higher. Twelve. Higher. Fourteen. Higher. Good. Are Who you, is this? Jim Harbaugh. Oh, I'm surprised that there's that it's that. He's much. not what? twenty. He's not at twenty. Sixteen million. Jesus. Yep, right. I'm reading it here from Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, reported the terms of the contract. Yeah, I see it now. Five earlier this month, you saw it. Five for eighty. Yep, I see it now. Yep. I found that just incredulous, guys. Yeah, that's a lot. I was uh, I I did not think he would get that much, but he's a big name. Yeah, okay. Well, I guess cheating does pay off then. All right. Um, moving on too quickly, guys. Uh, 
you know, I want to ask your thoughts. I know we talked about it. I don't want to be a dead horse, but, you know, the thing on uh, Durkin being hired, uh, and there's still there's a lot of hit pieces on this, I don't recall, and maybe you guys do, where there's uh, a lot of negative criticism or outrage or uh, just uh, hit pieces when Ole Miss hired him or when other uh, teams hired him before we hired him, like they're doing now. They they were out there. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, anytime that you're embroiled in a controversy at a school like that, no matter where you go, there's going to be some negative stuff written. So it was written um, at at all of it, both both Ole Miss and Texas A and M, and now at Auburn. I mean, they they're just it's it's folks rehashing the same crap that they've already written, and it is what it is. What do they hope to accomplish? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, other than getting views and clicks on the internet, you know, that's about it. I can write something negative. I can write something negative, and it gets clicks and views. I mean, and okay, so they make money off off of it. Sure. Okay, because I thought, well, he's just been hired, and he's been hired before by other uh, places. You know, um, what what what's, what do you hope to accomplish? You know, um, he's not gonna get fired, at least not for right now. So okay, all right, enough of that. And on this day, guys. It's the Super Bowl uh, in a few weeks here coming up. Doug Williams, 1988, the first black quarterback to play in the Super Bowl. Yep. I didn't know that, mm-hmm. even though I saw him play. I, he was a hell of a quarterback, too. Yep. And they won, even though they were the underdogs, to who? The Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos. And John Elway. 42 to 10. Yep. Yeah. Doug Williams came out of Grambling State. I don't know if you Grambling knew that. State did not know that. Yep, Grambling State, and then uh, he was the first quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they uh, first started their team, I believe. You are right. You are very right. You're so right. Okay, you know your uh, NFL football. Yeah. Okay, guys, that's it. I thank you very much for your time, as always. I look forward to hearing on the podcast later on uh, your other comments and thoughts. And uh, I'm glad that you guys survived Wacky Wednesday. I would like to see you do something wacky, but Hopefully nothing that dangerous again. Yeah, we'll be doing something again soon. All right, guys. Talk to you tomorrow. Until then, have a safe evening and more eagles. Or you'll see, appreciate that phone call. That is Retire Ward AM Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We've got about six or so minutes left here in this hour. Let's get to our Orthopedic Clinic phone line again. Anthony from Auburn. Anthony joins us. Anthony, how are you today? Doing good today. You know, I'm glad I got a chance to uh, tune in uh, I tell you what, I uh, listen to Steve comments and whatnot, and uh, I tell you, you know, uh, he hit something on the head there. You know, when you look at the percentages of black athletes uh, overall and Division One and predominantly white uh, college campuses, he told you what the numbers were. And uh, when you look at a football team, they make up 85 or 90 percent of a football team, and the same thing with most basketball teams throughout the U.S. And then when you start talking about NIL money, if it weren't for those athletes, it would be no NIL money payday. There'd be no kind of payday. Those billion-dollar contracts you got with TV, that wouldn't even exist. Those endorsement deals with all these companies, whether it be Nike, just for example, or Under Armour, or whoever, or any kind of product can be endorsed, or any company that's providing any kind of uh, financial support to any kind of university, uh, donations, or, or whatever it is, at the level that they are, they wouldn't exist at these gross billion-dollar, trillion-dollar amounts. Because, I mean, it just wouldn't happen. I mean, you know, I was around when football was – one game on a Saturday, ABC, and, of course, you had the Fighting Irish on, on NBC, so I would say two games. Nothing like that was going on. Nobody had those big paydays like that. So, I mean, when people want to go up to Congress and, 
and get before the Congress and Senate and start talking about they need some legislature to do this and that. They need to start thinking. Those guys then got the taste of the money that they've been always wanting now. So I would figure that if, if they want to reduce the amount of money or put a cap on something, those guys just going to go on strike and there ain't nothing going to be made and just sit out and then see how, how what made then. But, uh, you know, I'm glad Steve brought those numbers up. People need to think. I got somebody making me a billion dollars or five billion a year or whatever. If I got to give him a million dollars, that's small, small or something you can't miss. That's just like handing somebody a dollar, basically. So, I mean, need to think about those things. But, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're dealing with money, there's always uh, all that apple pie out there and, and people want more than some others should get or whatnot. They want more than they think they deserve. They want it all, you know, and don't think about the people that are actually making it happen for them. But uh, he mentioned something about Doug Williams being the first to do what? He was the first black quarterback to play in the Super Bowl. And then he no, won the he Super Bowl. Not, no, hold on. He was not the first black quarterback to play in the Super Bowl. Pittsburgh Steelers had a quarterback in the 70s that beat Bradshaw out and played in the Super Bowl but had a drug problem or whatnot and uh, couldn't really reach his full potential. So I'll clear that up for okay. a plan. That's, I was just telling you what he said. That's just well, what I'm, he said. Look, look, listen, I was alive. I can tell you, you might not have been around in the 70s. When I was watching Bradshaw, Franco Harris, uh, they had a mean Joe Green, just name a fruit, uh, Jack Lambert, and those kind of people. And you had those just win baby Raiders, you know, uh, Green Bay Packers at that time, or whatnot, and those Miami Dolphins with Don Shula. Those are the teams you saw the most on TV at that time, Frank, and the Vikings, of course. Now, I'm telling you, now you can look it up if you want to. Now, Doug Williams might have been the first to actually start and win it. That may very well be true, but he was not the first to play in a Super Bowl. Now, you can put your dollar on that. You can put a shiny dime on that one there if you want to. You got your fancy computer. You can look it up and find out that Pittsburgh Steelers had a black quarterback that played in the Super Bowl long before uh, Doug Williams or whatnot. But anyway, uh, I want to ask y'all something. I noticed the other night that y'all had a tennis coach that abruptly just got fired. And looking at her record, I mean, the record states that she should be coaching, but she must have did something. Something unethical or, or breaking the rules or, or done something out of bounds, just all of a sudden she got to go. What's the deal on that? Uh, yeah, I don't know the the deal on that uh, exactly, Anthony. We we don't know the uh, we don't know the particulars of it. Tom, do you have the answer that Anthony was looking for? On January the thirty first, nineteen eighty eight, in San Diego, California, Doug Williams of the Washington Redskins, now known as the Washington Commanders, became the first African American quarterback to play in a Super Bowl, scoring four of Washington's five touchdowns and an upset uh, forty to ten victory over the Denver Broncos. So, yep, that's what that says. That's what the history says. Okay, well, well the other guy might was on the Super Bowl team, so okay. Well, yeah, you were just confronting us about it, so we just it's wanted cool. to. It's all good. It's all yeah. good. I ain't got no problem with it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm big enough to. Uh, Hey, it's, it's all good. I ain't got no problem. If I made a mistake, it's all good. But uh, he was on the Super Bowl team, so sure. maybe I got that kind of mixed up. But it's all, it's still all good. Most people would not do that. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Because they have too much pride. But anyway, what's up with this uh, uh, tennis coach? Well, I want to know. Well, why is everything so hush hush on that? Yeah. Up and fire somebody, and nobody knows anything. Again, obviously, yeah. If we don't know anything, and it was that sudden, uh, obviously something would be going on. But we can't. We really, we we really don't have anything that we know uh, deep down about it at all. Uh, and, I, and I highly doubt if anybody's going to release anything, right? Uh, I would imagine they, if something, uh, if there's some wrongdoing there, they're going to try to keep it hush-hush, yes. Man, I tell you, you got to always cover up something. Huh? Got to keep it quiet. But, I mean, don't get me wrong now. 
if you're going to cover something up, you got to do it for everybody. Not just for ones that you select. You got to do it for everybody if you're going to cover anything up. Of course, I don't believe in covering anything up because, I, I mean, I just don't believe in that. You know, if you've done wrong, you just done did wrong. All I can tell you. But like I said now, if you're going to cover it up, cover it up for everybody all the way across the board. I mean, that's the way everything should work, right? Yeah, you want to you want to do unto others as you want done to yourself, and you want to be we, yeah, we want to be even. But I just thought that was very strange, and that's it. Nobody else talking about it. Ain't no more reports on the no kind of news outlet or anywhere else. That just it. She just gone. Nobody knows particulars of what happened, or what yeah. may have not happened. It just over with, and she just moved on. So I guess they'd be looking for uh, a coach after the season. They said they're gonna let the. Uh, Remaining coaches between the men's and women's teams share the responsibility. So we'll see how that works out. But I tell you, I just thought that was kind of odd because she was winning, but she must have sure. done something really bad. Yeah, and again, it would be it would be uh, I, I, really rough for us to speculate in either way. I mean, we, we, we have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe at some point it may come out and it might not, but would it be what it be. Yep. But, guys, I just thought I'd holler at y'all. I'm going to go ahead and get yes, some dinner here and go to work. But one other thing. When he yeah, last sleep, thing. Yep. I mean, I mean, yep. you don't need no uh, sports psychologist to tell you that. I mean, anybody, if you don't get any sleep, I don't care what you're doing, whether you be a doctor or attorney or you working in a warehouse or on a lumber yard, if you don't get enough sleep, you're not going to be at your best. That, that's just what it is. But as far as you're talking about an athlete in college getting eight hours of sleep, he forget it. Because with the schedule they're running, workouts in the mornings and classes and practice and study hall and then chasing women all night long, they ain't going to go to bed about 1 o'clock and be back up at 5. I can tell you that from experience. <laughs> That's just how that works. So, uh, but, forget that. <laughs> hey, you can dare dare to dream, though. No. And literally, they do want them to dream because they want yeah. them to sleep. Hey, Anthony, the, a- Anthony, I can tell you, the player that you're talking about from the Pittsburgh Steelers is Joe Gilliam. Yeah, Gilliam had a cocaine problem. Yeah, time. he got arrested in New yeah. Orleans with a gun and cocaine. But, he, yeah, he was Terry Bradshaw's backup. He did play – he played in some games in the regular season, but I don't think he ever actually played in the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe I just so, got but yeah, but Joe, Gill- but Joe Gilliam yeah. is Joe Gilliam is who you're talking yeah. about. That, that's true. But I mean, we all make mistakes and get things confused, you know. But uh, hey, it's all good. I ain't got yep, no all good. We're good. Well, guys, y'all uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and we're gonna see how that apple pie slices the rest of the year, and we'll be talking about it. Absolutely. Sounds good. That's Anthony calling from Auburn, joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We are out of time here for the first hour of the show, but we got more phone calls in store for you in hour number two on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. So stay tuned. More sports call after this timeout. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. 
Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday. TP Hammock running the board, doing a great job of taking your phone calls. And speaking of phone calls, let's go right back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free. 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show this afternoon, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you today? I'm good at War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I um, I was just trying to see if uh, the Auburn men's basketball team, do you think they're going to actually make it to this year's March Madness as well before uh, a few games uh, on that they have left on their schedule? And where do you rank the Auburn men's basketball team? Yeah, I do think Auburn will make the NCAA tournament. I don't think that they will uh, fall off to that degree. They have 11 SEC games remaining prior to the – SEC tournament and look there will be a much higher difficulty in the month of February that is for sure but tonight they've got uh, just I I think them and uh, Missouri but I would think Vandy is probably the worst team in the SEC Auburn's already beaten this team by 15 points on the road Uh, so Auburn should be able to get a a decisive victory tonight and hopefully that will start to uh, help them a little bit with their road woes but again of course uh, they they have been a uh, as most teams are a, a much different team on the road, so only time will tell if they'll start to get some of those big road victories. Yes, as well, because I was looking at um, – I was going to put Auburn, the, four, the first four in, and then I was going to put Alabama, the first four out of the uh, bracket because I think Alabama um, – I'm going to be looking at Alabama because I know they're going to be playing uh, – I think they play a game today. I'm not quite sure if I'm correct on that. Yeah, Alabama, uh, they should be playing tonight. They, uh, they are. They're playing at Georgia. Uh, that's a 5-30 game. Alabama is a ranked team now. I fully expect them to be uh, in the NCAA tournament, and they will be one of the teams that will be challenging for the SEC regular season championship, <laughs> yeah. too. They actually lead the SEC at the moment. They're the only one-loss team. Yes, as well, because I do have Alabama the first four out of that uh, March Madness tournament because I don't think um, Alabama would – win against Georgia. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a basketball game, but it was more of like a football game, then that'll be a total different thing. Yeah, uh, winning on the road is tough. They are at Georgia, but uh, again, just that loss simply would not put Alabama out of the tournament. They'd have to lose uh, several down the stretcher. They'd probably have to lose. I think they've got uh, a 5-1 and one record in the SEC, 6-1 and one right now in the SEC, so they have 11 remaining. They'd have to go something like 4-7. and seven. Uh, down the stretch to miss the tournament. So they're they're in a good position. Yes, as well. And then um, I'm looking at the women's side of, um, of the 
of the spectrum to see if they're going to make it to the NIT this year or to the March Madness uh, tournament that's going to be coming up and whenever that time actually will tell because I mean I mean you know coach Harris she's doing a really good job with those ladies and um I think is one of the one of the uh, basketball players I think is uh Denia Young she looks like a WNBA star I think it's in her near future I see great things coming out of out of Janiah Young, so I think she might be like a first or second round uh, draft pick as well. Yeah, Jemiah Mingo Young, who's uh, averaging about nine points a game for the Tigers, has uh, mm-hmm. been a nice transfer from Alabama. Uh, I, I don't think she's got WNBA draft stock as of now, but we will see. Uh, and the Tigers have played a lot better. You're right, James. I mean, they are having a, a good season under Johnny Harris. They were able to beat Georgia on Monday night. Auburn's up to 14 and six overall, and now three and four in the SEC. And of course, they'll have number one South Carolina in Neville Arena tomorrow. Yes, because I would be um, looking at that game and uh, seeing how they're going to stand out with uh, with. Uh, Don Staley because I know she's a she's a great uh, coach for the South Carolina Gamecocks and I know that that's going to be a really good um, it's going to be an easy game so I think that's going to be really good and then I'm going to be waiting for them to actually come up here to Tuscaloosa so that would be my first time ever seeing uh, Auburn coming to Tuscaloosa as well. Yeah, uh, again, I, I don't know if uh, – I'll double-check here to see if South Carolina is at Alabama. I know that you, uh, you've you been working in Tuscaloosa, right, James? Yes, I am actually right now in Tuscaloosa. I do have a new job right now. Um, I'm actually working um, right now at the VA right now. So I'm a volunteer up here uh, momentarily as well until something uh, opens up real soon. Okay, well, uh, I, that, uh, that's definitely good to know, and I hope that goes well for you, man. Um, uh, it does not look like Alabama goes or South Carolina goes to Alabama in women's basketball this year. It's only South Carolina hosting Alabama. Oh, okay. And then with the Super Bowl right around the corner, I probably have the San Francisco 49ers beating the Kansas City Chiefs for Super Bowl 58 as well. Okay, Kansas City, yeah, uh, it's going to be an interesting one. And uh, do you have a score prediction on that? Um, actually, the score prediction will be San Francisco 48 to Kansas City 20. All right, that would be a blowout. I would be genuinely surprised by that. I think it'll be a close game, but uh, I think that uh, I think it'll be very interesting for sure. Yes, as well. And then I don't have any um, – I don't have any college football news for you all, but I'll have that uh, soon as something actually comes available as well. So I'll have all that uh, for you all on tomorrow's show as well. All right. And last thing for you, James, our friend Matt wants to know, again, uh, he keeps asking about uh, if you've got any questions for him uh, with his swimming. I think he's got some more swimming coming up in a couple months here. Um, Well, actually, I do have a couple of uh, questions for him as well. you know, he he could um, just try his best, and uh, you know, when everything is um, is you know, have a have a strong mindset when you're swimming, and um, tell him that I said just get that uh, first place trophy as well. Okay, that's more of encouragement uh, than questions, but I think he'll appreciate that. All right, sounds good, and I'll talk to you all guys tomorrow. War Eagle. War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Let's go ahead and take our first break of hour number two. We'll be back with more right after this.
Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app. And we're after the fact on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. T.P. Hammock run the board and taking your phone calls. It was mentioned in the last segment about that game for Auburn women's basketball in Neville Arena tomorrow night against number one South Carolina. And now we have the opportunity to give away two tickets to that game. The first caller at 334 337-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We'll get two free tickets to Auburn and number one South Carolina in women's basketball tomorrow night in Neville Arena. So, again, the first caller at 334-887-3401 or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Two tickets to Auburn and number one South Carolina inside of Neville Arena tomorrow night. All right, want to talk about uh, some more of the stuff we did yesterday as far as DJ Durkin being hired as the defensive coordinator uh, for Auburn after two years at Texas A&M. Durkin, obviously, um, that news making some waves with uh, certain segments of the fan base, but ultimately he was somebody that was mentioned uh, for a few weeks. I did find it at least slightly interesting that uh, it seemed there was not much negativity about it when the name came up a few weeks ago and that it was uh, only after uh, the decision was actually made. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, Durkin is the defense coordinator for Auburn. We talked a little bit about the uh, staff yesterday. So, Cam, I want to pose the question that we did uh, to the guys on the show yesterday as far as the entire staff. Again, Derek Nix is now the offense coordinator, running back coach. Kent Austin, the quarterback coach. Marcus Davis continues as wide receiver coach. Jake Thornton continuing as offensive line coach. And Ben Agamaya as the tight end coach. Defensively, DJ Durkin hired as defensive coordinator. Josh Aldridge still at linebackers. Jeremy Garrett, the defensive line coach, although there are reports that he might be in the mix for some NFL jobs. So maybe we're not done. But as for now, we're done with on-the-field roles. Charles Kelly hired to be co-defensive coordinator and Wesley McGriff is the secondary coach and cornerbacks coach. So what do you think of the staff overall? And then your what you deem to be the best hire here in the cycle. Yeah, I mean, I think overall it's a very, very good staff, a great staff recruiting-wise, right? I mean, all of these guys have been praised for their ability to bring in high-level recruits, um, especially at the high school level, obviously Charles Kelly being the most uh, – recent uh it was like what recruiter of the year or something like that uh so obviously a a name that is highly touted and and um he's gonna do a lot of great things in terms of recruiting for uh for auburn um in terms of the best hire i would say it's either would be kelly or Derek nix pulling Derek nix away from ole miss uh for as long as he had been there and uh, 
the way that Kiffin and Ole Miss reacted, right, to losing him is something that kind of can't be stated. They tried, to, I think, everything they could to really keep him, and uh, Auburn was able to pull him away. Um, you know, whether that be for the offensive coordinator role and how that plays out, whatever. But even still, uh, to get him away from Ole Miss, where he's been through multiple coaching changes, multiple uh, tenures, 16 years there, uh, a long time at Ole Miss. And um, I think that's the best hire, somebody who can really uh, uh, get some continue the high quality running backs that Auburn has been able to bring in. Uh, you needed to get that replacement right. Uh, it had to be a home run because of, of how Cadillac left. And I think that uh, Hugh Freeze did make the right move in getting Knicks, uh, who, again, has a really um, a good esteem when it comes to recruiting. Uh, and um, hopefully, uh, like I said, will bring some continuation into the high ability of recruiting at that position. So I'm going to go with Derek Nix, but Charles Kelly is a close second because of just his overall ability to recruit. Um, and like, like I said, him being the, uh, previous recruiter of the year, uh, can't be stated enough. Obviously that means that he's a uh, really, really good recruiter. So, uh, yeah, definitely, um, those, those two, but I'll go with Derek Nix here. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is with Charles Kelly is he seems so willing to be uh, so involved in recruiting that even to the point where when he was being hired, as we've talked about that, again, he was wanting to focus on that and did not want as much hands-on of a on-the-field role. That seems to be sort of rare or at least is something that you've got to be certain uh, a certain type of wired for because the recruiting is so cutthroat and so involved and so intense on its own that uh, that certainly would not be my favorite part of the college job experience. Right. Uh, and that's also why that uh, we feel – I mean, again, I this would be my speculation, but I would feel pretty good that Auburn was uh, certainly uh, very interested in Chris Kiffin and the fact that it went for so long – uh, before Durkin, who was kind of always available because of the timing of Texas A&M, he's been available for weeks and uh, might have been involved in the Alabama process if Nick Saban uh, was still there. You know, I think that it would be logical to think that Kiffin and, and Auburn were pro- or, uh, Kiffin was probably Auburn's first uh, first call, or at least maybe someone that they felt they would offer it to. And then it's very possible that Kiffin just wanted to stay in the NFL. And uh, I know that there is the report out there. Some people have been able to read that uh, Jeremy Garrett, the defensive line coach, has uh, interviewed that for that position in the NFL now in, in a recent day or two. So, right. again, that's why there still could be maybe even one more move in the coaching carousel for Auburn's coaching staff. Again, it's I guess it's – I every time I try to declare it, okay, the waters <laughs> are calm. It's done. Yep. Uh, no, nope. it's not done. Psych. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so – uh, that is possible, but no word on how likely that is at this point. Just something that is occurring kind of behind the scenes. But, uh, again, I think that this is a very well-balanced staff. Uh, I think that would be my overarching takeaway from it. You have guys that have worked plenty in this in this league. You've had guys that uh, have Auburn connections, either already having coached here or graduating from here. You have guys that have worked with Hugh Freeze. Uh, in the past. And so, you know, I think that obviously there was a period in the offseason where the departures were happening, right? Ron Roberts leaves. Obviously, the 
uh, combination of Zach Etheridge and, and Cadillac Williams, the the welcome changed by many for Philip Montgomery to leave. So even in that was a mix of decisions there and, and decisions that were not all necessarily Auburn's. And so I think they were tasked with getting some of the same things with trying to honor uh, guys that he frees to be comfortable with, but also have the SEC experience and feel like they're just flat out good coaches. And to get Derek Nix, that is a check mark. I mean, Derek Nix being in this league for so long, surviving the situations, we say it over and over again. But again, it is just so uncommon for a position coach to want to stay somewhere that long and also be welcomed by that many different coaching staffs. Uh, that was a, uh, a very good hire, in my opinion. Uh, the Kent Austin part of it, I thought Brooks made a great point yesterday about, well, look, here's the, the downside to it is he is a guy that was in the building last year and your quarterbacks are, for the most part, all still in the building from last year. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. They could say, hey, they really did not improve much last year. Uh, you know, does Kent Austin have much of a role in last year? And again, you can debate that. He was not actually the quarterback's coach, Phil Montgomery. If you want to say it was all Montgomery, that's fine. Uh, but you know, there, there, Kent Austin had the ability to work on it last year a little bit as a consultant, and so that that could be questioned. However, of course, he has the background with Hugh Freeze, someone that has worked with him for a long time. So there is that part of it. Uh, the other offensive coaches, again, you're looking at guys that have recruited very well, like a, a Marcus Davis, uh, someone who certainly is re- partly responsible for, for that. Uh, I thought the offensive line did make improvements. It still needs to continue to make more improvements, but I definitely thought it was a step in the right direction with offensive line play last year. Uh, and so I understand the thought process, really, in, in all, those, uh, all those moves mm-hmm. defensively. Obviously, Durkin's the most recent, and he uh, is going to be the most controversial for some. But, uh, again, we went over the Texas A&M numbers yesterday, and I'll restate some of them. 21.2 and 21.3 points a game the last two years. Uh, Third in the league this year in the SEC, that is, only behind Alabama and Georgia. Uh, And then fourth the year before. Yardage-wise, this year, middle of the pack, not the best. Uh, passing defense was not great, but the rushing defense was number one in the SEC. The year before, it was kind of the opposite. They actually were the best yardage defense in the SEC in 2022 because they were the number one pass defense in the entire country. Uh, And then they were uh, not good, though, against the run. So they went from dead last in the SEC in 2022 to very much first in the SEC in 2023. So, look, an argument you can make is maybe there's not – a great identity there. I would argue that there could be a balance there, and that there could be the ability to uh, to do both with the with the needs of your players and uh, the type of player that you have in there. So, uh, some maybe some versatility. So, Dirk in there, I think uh, I think will be solid. I think Ron Roberts was a solid guy too, though. Again, I'm not going to in retrospect say, oh, this is so much better because I think Ron Roberts did a good job last year. Uh, again, Auburn was in the mix because of their defense pretty much week in, week out. They only had a couple bad defensive performances, and it was kind of the same couple teams, by the way, that Texas A&M did not play as well, I guess, in LSU, uh, who lit everybody up this year. And then, of course, uh, the uh, Ole Miss Rebels had a, a good game against LSU, and Ole Miss had a good day against a lot of different teams. So uh, there were definitely some similarities there. 
Uh, so, but I think that they at least did not get worse at that position is what I would say. And then uh, Josh Aldridge remaining at linebacker coach. Look, I thought you had some nice storylines at linebacker. I thought that Eugene Asante was very impactful player. I thought that you saw some improvements with guys that maybe I did not think too highly of in the preseason, like a Cam Riley, for instance. I thought they got better. And then you certainly saw a great recruiting acumen from Aldridge and, and the linebacking room with getting to Marcus Riddick and Joe Phillips and guys on the edge like uh, DeMonte Wallard. And so I think that they got better uh, recruiting there, and so I think Aldridge is a good retain there. We'll see if Jeremy Garrett does ultimately stay, but for now we're going to assume yes, although assumptions can be quite faulty when it comes to college football. Uh, but Jeremy Garrett, their defensive line, there is work to do there. And, of course, we talked about Charles Kelly uh, with – the recruiting acumen he has, uh, and certainly someone that other schools would value to be their full-time defensive coordinator. And then Wesley McGriff, I think, uh, has done a, a completely fine job uh, in his uh, stints at Auburn. So that's the whole co coaching staff. Uh, we went over it some yesterday. Tom, any other thoughts, anything you'd like to add? No, I mean, I, I just think it's a great staff, and I think, uh, I think massive upgrades have been made uh, especially in the recruiting aspect of it. Um, you, you've brought in some of the country's top recruiters to this staff, and so uh, now I want to see that play forward. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't dislike any of the hires. I know there's people that are gnashing their teeth over DJ Durkin and stuff like that, but I just I, – I, you know, I would just – I would encourage people to read the whole story and think. Yeah, be, be thorough. Be thorough. Read the read the story. Be thoroughly read the story, and also look at big picture. Like you know what we've talked about with him, the fact that he has been hired at three other places before he got here, and the fact that Nick Saban was potentially looking at him to take over the DC role at Bama. Obviously, he is not some unhirable monster that is just this toxic personality that nobody can stand to be around. Apparently, he's pretty darn highly respected in the coaching world. So I, I would just say, you know, read thoroughly read the story read what happened read the background and then also try to look at big picture instead of just going oh well he got fired because people said he was a terrible person and a guy and one of the kids died from a heat stroke so he does you know damn him damn him to eternity forever from ever being able to coach again that's like no i mean come on that's that's ridiculous so I'm good with it. I, I like it. I think it's big upgrades everywhere. And I'll and I'll go say again, like I did uh, yesterday on yesterday's show. Uh, to me, Derek Nix is the main hire because Lord knows Auburn's got to figure out something on offense. It's yes. been so putrid, and yep. you're hoping that a guy like Derek Nix can come in there and get that thing fixed. And then also his uh, ability, his known ability as a as a recruiter to hopefully bring in some of these top studs to to help out with that offense but that that's for me is the main one just because that offense just it needs so much help i mean uh, it, you you have poor kids I mean, it's kind of how that <laughs> offense you poor kids they got to have some help so hopefully Derek nix is the guy that's going to get things turned around there we're going to head to our next timeout when we come back we'll talk a little bit about tennessee and what's going on with the latest round of NCAA investigations surrounding NIL and that sort of thing. Another nice and heavy topic for you on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
call into the show. Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Brian LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday edition of the program with T.P. Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls. And with that, let's go right back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Up next, Matt from Phoenix City. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you today? I'm okay. Yesterday, I was mad enough to eat the pig's feet off a live hog. <laughs> um, and look, I, I haven't even turned on the show today until just now, so this may be a Manny Ramirez comment, you know, out of left field. Um, but it's like a tumor. If I don't get it out, I'm going to die. So Anthony called in yesterday and went on his, um, his, his uh, hissy fit about DJ Durkin. And here's, here's what I don't understand. Uh, first of all, it's my understanding that Durkin wasn't even on campus at the time of the incident. Um, number two, he's been exonerated of anything. Number three, didn't Alabama hire him as an, in an off-field position? Yeah, he was, a con- uh, he was a consultant for a little bit there. Yeah, he was a consultant. So, um, glass house, Anthony. Uh, also, you mentioned it, Nick Saban was getting ready to hire him before NIL ran him off. Um, but I, I don't understand how you can forget the incident. You talk about him verbally abusing players. Um, I have zero evidence that he verbally abused anyone, but isn't it verbal abuse to call in and call somebody a murderer? when you have zero evidence to back that up and he's been completely cleared of any wrongdoing? Wouldn't that be verbal abuse also, Anthony? I'm just curious. Um, and last thing, I think you dialed the wrong number. This is not the Paul Feinbaum show. Uh, that's where Bammers gather. Uh, so, you know, maybe maybe give Paul a call and, and go on your, your DJ Durkin rant. But I'm just curious. Um like I said, maybe it's Manny Ramirez, and, and if it is, I'm going to treat it just like Manny Ramirez, and I'm going to cut it off too soon. <laughs> well, uh, Matt, we were just talking about the staff just before you called, so actually this was really good timing. I believe Matt hung up. That is uh, Matt from Phoenix City uh, joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Yeah, so, again, I we – that's why I encourage people just to read and be thorough, and that's what we did in the in the previous segment. Uh, I've read uh, an independent report, of which was a hundred some pages. I did not read every single page. I read a, a dozen or so more, based off table of contents of recommendations and player testimony and that sort of thing. I read uh, half a dozen more articles from various outlets, uh, like the Washington Post, like Forbes. 
uh, ESPN, SB Nation, uh, and some others. Uh, there is some conflicting report on if he was there or not, but what is consistent and what I think is the most important thing is that no time was DJ Durkin leading uh, either that workout nor uh, leading the encouragement, but of course in a negative context here, of the uh, what the training staff was telling to Jordan McNair to continue to keep uh, working out. They were yelling at him, and of course there's some testimony about the screaming at him and that sort of thing to uh, – get his butt to keep going, et cetera, et cetera. That was not at any time Durkin. That was the training staff. And then it was the training staff, unfortunately, that was slow to recognize the the signs of a heat stroke, basically, and did not treat him properly uh, leaving the field, and which led to uh, a longer period of time before the, than the, what was needed to be able to get him to the hospital and, and, and that sort of thing. So that was not uh, in any way – um, again, Durkin led uh, ag- Durkin egging on or anything like that. Durkin was not a part of the uh, the training process. Obviously, that's that's training responsibility. If you want to say that DJ Durkin made poor hires, uh, you you could be fair to do that because the trainers did a very poor job on that day, uh, the ultimate poor job. So if you want to say that, you can. Uh, but uh, to go as far to again say he killed a kid. That is not understanding the situation whatsoever. And it's not to minimize it. It's unbelievably awful uh, that someone died. Um, again, the blame, though, is being mis- misplaced there. And I think that's why, again, the independent report did not recommend a firing. That's why Maryland uh, attempted to bring him back and reinstate him before public outcry. And, again, that's why it was not long before he was hired by the Atlanta Falcons then by Ole Miss, then by Texas A&M. So, again, that that is the circumstance of it. You will always have the Dan Wilkins of the world, the holier-than-thous of the world that uh, believe that everything is awful and they want to be cynics about everything and take the worst possible view of it. But, uh, again, I would just encourage those to, to read the reporting and to be thorough uh, and, again, to – Again, be honest with your assessment after reading dozens and dozens of reports with it and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that was uh, not my favorite moment of the show yesterday. But anyway, uh, we always welcome all opinions on it, but uh, certainly encourage those opinions to be thorough. So, uh, yeah, the Durkin situation, obviously polarizing for some, but again, I, I, I think that once you read uh, a lot of what's out there, uh, you can come to a, a well, a more well-informed decision. All right. So speaking of more things, the Rumple Feathers. Uh, of course, this one not in Auburn, but everyone's favorite topic is always the NCAA and the NIL. Well, uh, yesterday there is reports uh, surfacing that another NIL investigation led by the NCAA is coming to the limelight, and this one is. At the University of Tennessee, of course, Tennessee is a place that just got penalized by the NCAA last year. Now, the results came to fruition last year. Again, of course, this was stuff under Jeremy Pruitt's leadership, not Josh Heupel. So we're talking the 2018-2019 time frame. Uh, but, of course, penalties take a long time. Tennessee tried to self-impose. The NCAA 
excuse me, accepted some of those. They wanted to go further on some. I believe it was 40 scholarships over uh, or, or 20 scholarships over five years, something like that, and uh, a loss of 40 visits over five years. And uh, and then, of course, put on probation. Well, probation was going to be for five years. A lot of these penalties were kind of over four to five year uh, increments of time starting last year. Well, here we are just one year later, and now there's another investigation. So if we're looking at this strictly from how big of a deal this is for Tennessee, this is a very big deal because it is very, very, very rare while on probation to be investigated again. And the sheer fact that there's another investigation here should make Tennessee very uncomfortable. Well, I would say they're very uncomfortable because Athletic Director Danny White, as well as their school president, and others are have, of course, gone on the attack against the NCAA and the University of Tennessee and the University of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Virginia joining in on this is suing the NCAA, basically saying that uh, they're doing things that are not in their jurisdiction to do. They're not allowing competitive balance, not fostering an environment where others can equally succeed, that sort of thing. So, guys, uh, what do you make of all this? Uh, at first, I guess the sheer fact that Tennessee is being investigated again so shortly <laughs> after the Jeremy Pruitt situation, and then the validity, basically, of their outcry. I, uh, first reaction was, man, again, like Tennessee back in trouble again. Um in an era where play, paying players is pretty much all but acceptable, Tennessee still finds a way to pay players the wrong way. <laughs> um, That's a good way of putting it. I mean, seriously, I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't understand how they can always find a, a different issue or a different infraction to make. And I know their case is saying, well, the, the NIL stuff, it's all vague and, and different things like that, which, hey, you could, you could absolutely make a case that they are too vague. I mean, I think we all can agree that NIL is, is already way too uh, – out of control and and that there's really no way to ramp it back uh to really reel it back in um and so it's kind of just basically a free-for-all pay-for-play type situation what are are you going to do um but but even still again where all of this is acceptable tennessee has still found a way to do it wrong uh and and get in trouble for whatever infractions it is uh circled around their freshman now i guess sophomore quarterback uh nico dom not even going to try to pronounce his last name but the quarterback and he played in the cheese it bowl and and had a pretty good game overall a, a a very talented player so um, will be interesting to see how that plays out, whether he has some eligibility that he like he might not even be eligible to play next season. Uh, if this moves quickly enough, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but my overall reaction is, man, Tennessee, always, always, uh, always in something. Yeah. I, the thing is, I don't know how much of this is going to stick. And, and now you've got lawsuits getting ready to start coming down and things like that. I mean, it's going to end up hitting the courts. But uh I'm the same way. It's like, you know, why why Tennessee? You know, I, I, I'm curious to know the details on what exactly they did, um, the, the full down and dirty details on what's being accused. I mean, obviously, we know it has to do with the quarterback and things like that. But 
Yeah, all it's, I know is NIL and, and the quarterback, right. and Nico. Ne- right? Yeah, uh, Amuleva, or however you pronounce it. That's why I didn't even want to Nico. try. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but you know the, 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 it's it's kind of one of those things, and I I heard a lot of people uh, on the way here. I was listening to the uh, Fine Bomb show and, and listening to a lot of people calling in and talking about it, and and it's kind of one of those things that I how, how do you inf- how do you now suddenly enforce something that has been unenforceable? I mean, what what rule was broken that other schools are not doing the same thing? I mean, did Tennessee do something that everybody else is not doing? Yeah. Um, you have you you as the NCA you've kind of opened up this Pandora's box, which everybody warned and kept saying you you need to be careful with this because if you open this box, then you know the crap's really going to hit the fan. And once you open it, it's going to be difficult to close it. And they opened it anyway, and now here we go. And now it feels like all of a sudden they're like, oh well, now this is this is against the rules. I'm like, well, you didn't say that. Right. When you open Pandora's box and now you're wanting to try to put some rules in place. It's going to be impossible. Yeah. And I so, mean, I, I think that I really do think I agree with you. Like Tennessee might have a case where they could say this is too vague. How, how am I supposed to know whether these rules blah, 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 blah. Right. Technically, you're not the one of the rules that I, I think is it's like you're not supposed to be paying a player to come to your school. Correct. They're supposed to want to come to your school and then you give them NIL for their name image likeness right, yes. type thing. It, it, but that is not but it, it's it like is. exactly but it, and everybody knew that's what was going to happen yeah, when you yeah. open Pandora's box that this that's what's going to happen the money is going to be used as a recruiting incentive. Now again, I don't know the down and dirty details cuz I just know just the very broad stuff that is out there right now. I know there are very, very strict rules that say that you cannot give the money to a kid that is not currently a student. Now, if that happened, then that is a direct violation. Right, right. The, the kid, the NIL is supposed to be: you have signed with the school, you are a student of the school, you are a member of that football program, and now you can get the money from your name, image, likeness. You cannot give them money directly when they are still. In high, high school. school, yeah, high schoolers. Um, I don't know if that's what happened, but I, you know, I still find it hard to believe that whatever it is that Tennessee is being accused of, I find it hard to believe that they're doing something different that uh, you know that other schools are not doing, and that does include Auburn. I as much of an Auburn fan, as much of a Barner as I am, hmm. I understand the recruit. I understand how recruiting goes, and that and they. If you're going to recruit at the elite levels with these other schools, then you're going to have to do what these other schools are doing. Um, you know, obviously, I don't know just how down and dirty it is. I don't know if they're if all these schools, Ohio State, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, I don't know that they're necessarily giving money to these kids in high school for them to come here. I mean, I think that's just a, a, a blatant uh, rules yeah, violation right, right there. Uh, but again, I don't. I don't know what Tennessee is is officially being accused of. It's just so right, kind of vague right now that I that I, I don't know what the actual accusation is. Yeah, well, here's what we know. We know that, uh, and I believe this was brought up on the show yesterday that the quarterback that they say, uh, signed uh, inked a then record nil contract with the Spire Sports Group, which is Tennessee's primary collective. And the right. report from uh, the Knoxville Sentinel. Was that that was worth eight million dollars? Uh, the Knoxville News Sentinel eight million dollars. Again, I 
I have tried. I've tried to read a couple of things. They did not specify if that's $8 million in one year or for the life of being at the University of Tennessee, how many years that would be. I, those are unknown details that, Bro, the, they gave that again, the GM and me the GM and me would really love to know the, the terms of that. But, but we just know $8 million. Uh, I would tell you that that is a lot of money regardless <laughs> of sure. one or four years. Boy. Now, here's the thing. When you are Tennessee and you are under probation, you have just committed – violations in this specific space okay <laughs> it's not it's not again this is bad too but it's not michigan's uh sign scandal cheating scandal connor stallions it's not that it is literally you are doing recruiting violations level one recruiting violations to the point where jeremy pruitt and all that staff got several years show cause penalties you got put on five-year probation. You lost a few scholarships per year for five years. You lost the ability uh, to, to have the max amount of in-home visits for a few years. You, you got all those penalties. And in the very same space, you then gave somebody $8 million. That's a red flag. It just is. Now, here's where the criticism of the NCAA comes, because this is the same criticism we have had. Uh, since NIL was birthed a few years ago, a couple years ago. you got to have very clear, concrete guidelines. And you've got to enforce guidelines and rules once you make them. Or else it's the wild, wild west, and then you become the bad guy because you just pick and choose. So like, if you're going to create a rule, it's got to be a rule for everybody, not just for a few. Uh, and so when you are kind of allowing – this free flow of money, whatever number, it then opens up the question, how did you get the money, and how can we reasonably say that you got the money the right way or the way that we're intending you to get that money? And that's where they come into this. So, again, I I hate to be kind of middling here because the NCAA is dumb, and they do dumb things all the time, and they deserve constant criticism. But if you're Tennessee, I would not be flaunting, hey – we got you $8 million. Yeah. That's pretty cool, huh? Right after one year ago, you got exposed for delivering cash in McDonald's bags. Right. And God knows what else. And had to pay, what, an eight-something eight million dollar fine or something? Right. That but basically got slapped on the wrist. Yeah, and, and people view it that way. But I'm saying, like, again, you still had some things that affect you a little bit. And especially if you do the one thing that would really accelerate all this and break your probation. <laughs> and that and that's why I'm saying that that they can't be blameless in this oh, because yeah. you've got to be careful when you're under probation. That means inherently they should be watching you a little bit closer. That is part of the deal. We're going to watch you a little closer. And I t- and I've said this before, I'll say it again. The NCAA because they don't investigate everything and everybody nor do they probably even want – I mean, have the manpower to investigate all 100 schools and or at least between football and basketball, all the programs that uh, combine to do this sort of thing. The one way you make it easy for them is you do something that is obviously a red flag out in the open. Like, oh, yeah, we, we told this kid midseason we'd like him to come here. Well, that's tampering. That's pretty obvious. Or, hey, you know what? No one else has given this kid an $8 million deal or anyone anyone this kind of deal. We, we just paid the most. Well, the NCAA is going to be like, well, how would you get the most? 
In what ways are you doing? Uh, did you promise him the most before time? Because that's not what we mean by this, this NIL deal. So, interesting, interesting situation. We do need to go to our end of hour break. Maybe we'll hit on this a little bit more on the other side of the break. If you want to give us a call today on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334 887 3401 locally or toll free 1 at 888 Tiger 9. It's more sports call after this end of hour timeout. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620, WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan Lavoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday. TP Hammock is running the board and taking your phone calls as we continue on here in the show today. Uh, Auburn Vanderbilt coming up tonight in Neville Arena at 8 o'clock. We'll give you another preview of that and the night in SEC basketball in just a few moments. I do want to finish our conversation that we were having on the other side of the break about the NIL stuff with Tennessee. We did not get to the fact, too, remember that Florida is also being investigated right now for the Jaden Rashada stuff where he ends up going to Arizona State because that, again, we talk about it's not good – when things become public because then the NCAA starts snooping around it. And so we had the whole situation around this time last year, I think, where Rashada had been promised a large sum to go to Florida. I forget the exact sum, but a large sum. And then he decided to back out and go to Arizona State. Well, Again, Tom, you were talking about the timeliness of everything and what the NCAA wants to see in terms of timeliness. And what they don't want to see is a promise before you get to school, which, again, we know how it works. We're not dumb. These schools are promising these kids money. Like, 
again, we, we understand it. But the NCAA wants to see no evil. And so, again, unless it's public and obvious, they're just letting it all ride until something becomes public like the Rashada stuff. So, like, that's also why these investigations turn up at least something most of the time because you've kind of already met the prereq of guilty just by NCAA feeling the need to investigate right. you. Because the last thing the NCAA wants to do is churn up a bunch of investigations, get people all hot and bothered, and find that they were absolutely wrong. Because they already have a low enough approval rating as it is. They don't need to be coming into people's homes, getting their computers, getting their, their phones and all that, doing this investigation for absolutely no good reason. So it is already uh, not, a, not a very good sign for you if the NCAA comes knocking. So Florida's in a little bit of trouble for that. And again, as we were talking about before the hour ended, uh, and again, the terminology here is also very concerning. The reporting from 247 and the sources is, is, being, uh, is being investigated for, quote, a major NIL violation. So again, you're on probation and you're now being investigated for a possible major violation. We'll see if 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 suing helps. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but if the process plays out and you go down the road of, yes, they are found to have committed a, quote, major violation while being on probation, now you could start to see penalties that we've not seen in a while. Now you could be going down the bull ban uh, route and that sort of thing. So... Uh, because Tennessee was was very close to getting a bowl ban, by the way, the first time. That is why people deem it a slap on the wrist, because they did not get a bowl ban. Mm -hmm. But part of the Tennessee trying to self-impose all those reduction in scholarships and visits and phone calls and all that was in an effort to avoid the bowl ban, because that would have been more expensive than the fine they got and that sort of thing by not being able to make bowl games. So. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, usually they've been slapping on wrists instead of actually uh, spanking these programs. But I think that they are probably, if they find this and that this litigation, if, if this lawsuit does not actually affect things in favor of Tennessee, this will probably end in bowl ban uh, for a year or two for Tennessee. That, that's how I would, I would think it would proceed. Uh, any other thoughts, guys, before we move on to the Sports Call 5 at 5 about these NIL investigations, no. the validity of them, anything like that? Nah, I got Kinda it. Covered yeah. it? Yeah, we got, kind of covered it? We, well. hit all, we hit all of our bases. All right, we've hit our bases. So with that, we're about to get to the Sports Call 5 at 5. It's presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is also, as always, a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that, too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at sclandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, we're going to go over Five SEC basketball games of note. There are four tonight, but we'll give you one from last night. Of course, I bend the rules a little bit as TP looks at me quizzically. Uh, it's I, I'm running the show. I can do what I want there. So here's the sports <laughs> call five at five. 
number one. Number one, of course, Auburn basketball taking on Vanderbilt tonight, 8 o'clock on ESPN2. The line did change a little bit since we first came on air. It was 19.5 favorite Auburn. It's down to 18.5 still. I think everyone's going to be okay. It's still more than what Auburn was able to beat Vanderbilt by in Nashville. So Auburn heavy favorites against the Commodores tonight. Next up, number two. Coming up here in just a few minutes, Alabama goes to Athens, Georgia. 5.30 on the SEC Network. Alabama favored by six and a half despite being on the road. Both teams have the same record, but Alabama's been hot. They currently lead the SEC at six and one. Number three. Florida goes to number 10 Kentucky at 7 o'clock on ESPN. Kentucky's had uh, a couple of weird ones as of late. Uh, They were able to beat Arkansas on the road. Of course, Arkansas not themselves this year, uh, and they were trailing the majority of that game. And, of course, that was on the heels of kind of getting – uh, almost blown, really kind of blown out at South Carolina, 79-62. So two straight games in the low 60s for a Kentucky team that scores a lot of points. Next up, number four. Speaking of Arkansas, they're in the who cares snoozer of the night. They play at 8-12 Missouri at 7 o'clock on the, or 7.30 on the SEC Network. So that falls the Bama-Georgia game. Arkansas just 10-10 overall. They take on 8-12 and 12 Missouri, yet to win in the SEC. I'll probably go Missouri with that one, but uh, we'll see. And then last up on the Sports Call, 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Number 5. Of course, the most significant result in the SEC last night between the two was that number 5 Tennessee lost at home to South Carolina. That is not such a bad thing anymore, but obviously any home loss in league play you are a little disappointed by. But South Carolina... The second team to six wins in the league. They were 6-2 and two in the SEC, 18-3 overall. I believe they were technically the number 26 team in the country this year. I think they had the most votes to be ranked without being ranked. Even going to Georgia this weekend, even if they lose, I would still argue that they probably deserve to be in the top 25 now. So that's the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Again, a look at the action coming up here in the Southeastern Conference tonight. Again, gentlemen, Auburn and Vanderbilt is the game that we have our eyes on. Vandy at just 5-14 and 14 overall, 0-6 in the SEC. You'd wonder if after the tough non-conference of just losing a bunch of bad games, if they would perk up at all. Uh, they just have not. They've uh, they had the moments of being competitive within the games, as anyone would. I mean, they did lead Tennessee for a good portion of that game. They ultimately lost. They uh, were hanging around Mississippi State. They lost. Kind of got beat from the get-go against Auburn. But, again, there's just nothing. Uh, you know, they hung around with Alabama early. They lost by three. But there's just really nothing of substance. And, obviously, if you're winless at this point in league play, you are destined for uh, the first Sadness. the first night in the SEC okay. tournament, and you're destined to not play much in the postseason. Yeah, they don't have too much to, to hope for. Uh, you know, if you're Vanderbilt, it's kind of – just not looking too great. Uh, you, you try to try to build upon it. I thought they had a pretty good team last year. They they kind of got a their talent. They got a little bit gutted uh, for for a lot of their talent. I'm pretty sure because um, if I remember correctly, right from LSU that plays for LSU, he was on Vanderbilt last mm-hmm. year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's a pretty good pretty good player. And um, Auburn almost was able to get. Um, uh, Tyler, Tyler Lawrence. Lawrence, yeah, he is uh, still there, and he's still yep. there. He decided to come back to Vanderbilt, and they they do have some talent, but uh, again, it's just 
you know, overall complete team. They just they just cannot seem to get over that hump. Uh, I thought they were pretty close last year, so I figured you know see some improvement going into this year. But it's it's been regression, which is um, pretty unfortunate, honestly. Uh, and uh, yeah, but they're just overall struggling, winless in SEC play. If you're Auburn, you have to capitalize on an opportunity like this to to kind of to get right yourself um obviously you know like you said earlier ryan the x's and o's and all that stuff like auburn winning this game by 15 to 20 points obviously doesn't say oh well everything's fixed but you want to be able to say okay well you can still beat the teams you're supposed to beat by a comfortable margin um obviously the tough games are going to be the tough games especially after this you gotta gotta make sure that hey at least you can see some positive momentum going into the next game uh because you know uh like we had mentioned you're you're going to Ole Miss uh who's undefeated at home next week or excuse me on Saturday and then you got Alabama coming to town the next Wednesday so you you gotta definitely uh stay prepared keep your head on a swivel and uh uh got a lot of work to do man yeah this Auburn team again uh it so many things are about a balance but uh certainly what we saw prior to last week and they deserved to get ranked in the top 10. They had been blasting people. They'd won their road games to date. Unfortunately, you get a little more information and you realize that Arkansas is just not good at all. Yeah. Again, when it's the very first SEC game of the year, you think to yourself, wow, absolutely throttling Arkansas at Bud Walton Arena. Because at that time, obviously, we knew it wasn't great, but we still figured they'd hang around, maybe be around 500 in the league and, and see if they could get hot and get in the NCAA tournament and that sort of thing. Oh, uh-uh. I mean, again, this Arkansas team's the worst that Musselman's had by far. I mean, they're 10-10 and 10 now. They will very likely finish the year under 500. Well, so you have that. Uh, and then you know to a degree, I mean, you, you just understand that the Vandy is not going to be good. You didn't know necessarily they are going to go this deep in the conference play and not win a single uh, game uh, at all in conference play. And then that's it. That was your two road wins. And your look at it is like you kind of understand how Auburn won those games. Those teams are just not even close to Auburn. But there's still teams that Auburn will play in the next few weeks that I believe they're better than. They're better than Ole Miss. Like, they are better than Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. However, it's going to Ole Miss, and it's on the road, and it's just far different than Auburn's crowd, you know, harassing Alan Flanagan and Flanagan having a horrible game and – and all that sort of thing, that can easily turn. Ole Miss harasses Auburn. Auburn doesn't shoot well. Flanagan shoots well. Boom. Just like that, that will be a huge swing. Just just, in, just that. Uh, and so these swings are pretty wild on the road, but nevertheless they do exist. Uh, and, again, as for the game for tonight, <clears throat> again, you, you just can't – again, you can't take a lot and say it will translate to the road tonight. But the one thing you can say would absolutely be a concern is if they continue to shoot the ball poorly, they do not play well offensively, and they don't have any sort of confidence boost. If they're having to scrap out this game in the very end, then that does not bode well, in my opinion, for what's ahead. Yeah. Uh, that is seems like a regression in confidence. Because, again, I just told you about how bad the teams were that Auburn be on the road. Okay, they still throttled Ole Miss by 23 at home. Like That's still a good result, period. Uh, they still had a 30-point lead on LSU with 10 or 12 minutes to play before they took a nap in the last 10 minutes of the game. You get up 30 points on a team 
even else, you might end up in the NIT and might not make the tournament. Fine, whatever. Like, that's something. Uh, and then to beat Texas A&M in a physical type of game, the type of game they just lost to Mississippi State, they beat Texas A&M in earlier this year. There's some good things there. That's why I don't say, oh, actually, I don't know if this team's even top 20. I don't say that. That's that's going too far. That's what Bruce Pearl was talking about the other day when he was talking to the media. Uh, but, again, this, pro- this team does have some flaws, as they all do, and it's not unique to them and they're they are also inherently not unique they have these problems on the road and so they need to see a few go in tonight and they need to be able to get the the momentum back and the swagger back a little bit and then it'll be up to them to be able to parlay it into something real on the road against a team they should be they should inherently be confident against because they did floor them at Neville Arena a few weeks ago. And, and because of stuff like that, because they won by 23 against Ole Miss, because they were shellacking LSU uh, until they took their foot off the gas, that's why I do expect Auburn to win by 20 or 25 points tonight. Like, they, yeah. they are that much better than Vandy. Vandy's not any good. And we don't have to sugarcoat that. Uh, we can we cannot sugarcoat that by also mentioning college basketball's mayhem and you need to focus. But Vandy's not good. Vandy would not go and win smaller leagues this year. That's how bad they are. They would not go and win Conference USA. Sorry, wouldn't do it. They they would not go. They would not beat Appalachian State in the SoCon. They they would lose plenty of games in SoCon. They're they're not good. So um, that's why Auburn. This is the perfect game, at perfect time because this is the first adversity they've had to face in conference play. They had some adversity this year. I mean, you lose at Appalachian State. That makes you. Feel negative, you wonder about yourself. Now, App State might go win the SOCON, by the way. I don't know if people are still keeping track of them, but App State's uh, maybe very well, maybe tournament pre- yeah. uh, bound. Pretty dang good. And with Baylor, of course, that's a solid team. I, I think that that could have played out differently if it was a few games in the season, but Auburn led that game a lot. They shouldn't feel bad about losing it. It's regrettable because they still don't have a uh, quad one win, and that was probably their best look at it compared to how these games went. But Okay, like you understand it. So, again, not revising anything that's happened there, um, but they do need a confidence boost, and they do need to parlay it into something real on the road, and and hopefully they'll be able to start to do that tonight. Let's go ahead and take our first break of hour number three. More ahead. Maybe we'll get a little more more basketball. Maybe we'll get into the NFL. Of course, if you want to give us a call, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Sports Call returns after this timeout. Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9.
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Barry with you here on this Wednesday. Reminder, if you miss anything at all, you can go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. Uh, we were not, or I guess we did not have a call or call in last hour for the Auburn women's basketball tickets. So, again, want to give you one last chance. First caller gets two free tickets to Auburn women's basketball tomorrow night as they take on number one undefeated South Carolina. First caller at 334-887-3401 or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Gets two tickets to Auburn and number one South Carolina tomorrow night inside of Neville Arena. All right, let's talk about something, guys, that happened today with the NFL. We had our seventh head coaching hire as Mike McDonald was hired. He was the Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator this year. He was hired by the Seattle Seahawks, leaving one vacancy remaining in the NFL, which is the Washington Commanders. And so uh, McDonald becomes the uh, youngest coach in the NFL, 36 years of age. And, guys, I said, I guess last week, I bet Seattle does something we don't expect because they have just – we don't know much about their search. We know all the names, yet those names were not linked to them. And so unless they went Dan Quinn, something was going to be weird about this. Now, McDonald – I'm not saying this makes him an inherently bad candidate, but again, he was really not mentioned for any other job that I was aware of. Maybe someone else gave him an interview, but we kind of brushed it off because he was not one of their favorites. But uh, after Ravens, the, Ravens defensive coordinator, I yeah. thought he got a couple. Maybe he got a couple. I, I think the Falcons might. have. They did interview half the league. Yeah, yeah it's, we very, did. So, it's very you know, possible. He, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I guess. It, I guess you could probably tie every name to the Falcons. Yeah. So, <laughs> so about every candidate in the cycle because they interviewed right. 14. Yeah. Uh, so that was standing again. Was the Ravens coordinator last two years? Was Michigan's defense coordinator in college game the year before that? And Again, a very young guy. So what do you think of this hire? Was there something better Seattle could have done? And then on to Washington being the last one uh, looking for head coach. So I definitely thought that Seattle was going to go Quinn or I thought they were going to go Vrabel. Um, but I like the McDonald hire. I figured they were going to go somebody defensive. That was that was my first thought was they're probably not going to go with the offensive guy. I think they want somebody that's going to really improve the defense. Um, I am not sure how they're going to move on offense, but again, it's just Seattle and a defensive guy. It just feels right. So, uh, McDonald is a quality hire. He's a young, young guy, but again, put together one of the best defenses in the league, uh, in, in Baltimore. Obviously they had a lot of talent already that they drafted, but the scheming Baltimore, uh, allowed the least points per game with like 16.5. They were first in the NFL, uh, in, in like total defense, all those metrics, all that stuff. So he, he was a fantastic coordinator. Uh, and, and they have a lot of young talent on the defensive side of the ball in Seattle. Um, Witherspoon, they have obviously Auburn's very own Derek Hall. Uh, so, so they have some guys that they can really uh, – 
build upon for that defense. So a matter of scheming might be all it takes to really highly improve that defense, get a couple signings here uh, and see what you got. So I, I'm a fan of the hire. I think it'll be good. Uh, I, I think he'll he'll fit there and uh, really improve the defense that had been kind of middle of the pack, kind of struggling sometimes. Uh, the addition of Bobby Wagner, I think, really helped because he brought in some leadership uh, to that team last uh, this past season after he was with the Rams. So bringing him back was a good move, uh, very ingrained in Seattle culture. So I think he'll be able to really get a full uh, full. He'll, he'll he'll make it easy for McDonald because you already have a leader in, in that in that lo- uh, locker room on the defensive side. So uh, I think that's a great hire. I think he'll do well. Uh, and obviously, you just got to figure out who your coordinators are going to be uh, for, especially on the offensive side of the ball. It's always key finding an offensive coordinator, uh, one that's going to you know build up and, and give you a high powered offense. You got a quarterback. You got a running back. You got some. You got a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and you'll you'll you got some things to work with if you're Seattle uh, if you're McDonald. So I would say and this about Seattle. This might be a little bit of a warm take. I guess it's a little bit of a direct disagreement. I think it's a very tough job right now because I don't see an inherent upward trend, and I also think that having to replace Pete Carroll. And the fact that they got kind of stale with it, even though he did everything he could to make it not stale, I think that he's got a lot of uh, working agree. uphill a little bit. I can agree. I, I I would I would tend to agree with you because they are very they are very middle of the pack yes. team. They were close to making the playoffs. They finished what like nine and eight yes. something like that. So uh, you know again very middle of the pack last last season they had a, a good resurgence with Gino so they were a good story. They made the playoffs. Uh don't think they won a game but they did get in. So right. that I mean that matters. So that's fine. But you're right. The upward the the seeing where they can go up because you don't really know, you know, Gino is not like yeah, mid third I mean he's older than people realize. He's not and he's not like your top tier echelon quarterback back so you know it kind of works with the scheme you want to see how that works with him you kind of want to get your own guy as well to kind of build for a future so and that's likely not going to happen with this draft because of where you ended up finishing and 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 so you're going to be drafting in the in the late teens mid teens type type situation so you're not going to get your franchise quarterback here uh maybe if you want to take a flyer on somebody in the second round maybe third round kind of figure that out uh and and see how that plays out then maybe you can find a diamond in the rough other than that ah so you so you're right it's it's it is a tough job in terms of how you want to maneuver towards the future. I do agree with that. But I think – and I think that's maybe why I was leaning maybe towards Vrabel. Maybe that's why I'm leaning towards towards Dan Quinn because maybe they could figure it out. And, and, and it's kind of a lot of responsibility for a first-time head coach to really figure out how to maneuver moving forward like that. But – you just got to see. I mean, I guess he had a good plan uh, when he was interviewing. So maybe, you know, the higher ups in Seattle really liked what uh, what his vision was. And uh, I guess we'll see how that ends up playing out. Yeah. I mean, again, like I can see how he can keep them afloat, but I just worry about any time you've got someone's kind of an average quarterback yeah, in the league hitting their mid 30s. When it declines, it's it will decline bad. quickly. Yes, and I worry a little bit about Metcalf that he might. You know, with all these wide receivers, you know he's been teetering on being a little disgruntled at times. But Gino has 
helped that out a right. lot. So they've gotten that extra level. I, I feel like they could have u- maybe used him and Lockett a little bit better together oh, yeah. because I think for the sheer talent they have, like there's still more fruit on the tree there to God, be able they to still get. Have Jackson Smith and Jigba, right? I mean, they've got a lot of talent at wide receiver, so. And that that gives you hope for the future there, but again, that like could I be said, a seriously high powered offense. Sure. <laughs> so going a defensive guy, yeah, I know Pete Carroll was an offensive guy, but also he was very successful right. guy. I, I could have felt like you could have just gone a younger offensive mind if you, right? Because you can't. I mean, they were still a competent franchise. I think they literally just wanted a youth movement. Maybe they would have gone young offensive guy, right. a, a, the likes of Ben Johnson or. Slowick that just apparently did not want these jobs, uh, or at least that's what their camp said. I don't know if they're actually going to lose out in these jobs, or they just decided after interviewing, like, eh, I don't know if we want these situations. Yeah, you know, right. it'll be up to their PR teams. Right. Uh, but yeah. uh, I just find a hard time believing that those two OCs I just mentioned, plus a Mike Vrabel, are not better than some of these candidates. And maybe I just love Vrabel too much. But he seems like the tough-minded type of guy that Seattle would probably like to continue to move on to. Right. And so many guys in this league get opportunities, even with losing records in their past. Like Dennis Allen's record in Oakland was just absolutely the worst thing you've ever seen. Right. And he's the Saints coach. Todd Bowles' record in New York, not good. He's still the Bucks coach. Um you know, some guys like you excuse Raheem Morris like twelve years ago. So you you understand you paid your dues. You were so young then. That's a little different. I'm not really coupling in there, but you have a lot of guys in this league that get two and three opportunities despite having a losing record. Mike Vrabel's 54 and 45. He went to three playoffs with the Titans. It's not right. necessarily a glamour franchise, and no one ever said the Titans like going into each and every year. No one's like you know who's going to win this thing this year or could win this thing. The Titans. The Titans. Like no one ever got excited about them, even though they were pretty darn productive <laughs> yeah. for a three or four year stretch. Yeah, they, right. They and, went like twelve and four right. one year. Right. right. A couple yeah. Years. Yeah. Twelve and five and one the was number one seed. They yep. did lose to the Bengals, who right. got red hot, went Super Bowl that right. year. But uh, again, I just feel like Vrabel did with like a twelfth place roster. Made him a fourth or fifth or sixth place team. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's pretty solid. Like, I would love to see him get even a little bit better of a quarterback situation, that sort of thing. And that's not necessarily Seattle. But anyway, I think some of these hirings have been a little surprising. Again, like, I think Canales did a good job in Tampa this year. But if you really picked Canales over Ben Johnson, I have a question for you. Uh, right, <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. again, a Can- and Canals might work great, and also he might not work great, and it might not be his fault. Because <laughs> look at the roster, look at the right, owner. But right. I just think there were some interesting decisions in the cycle. We'll see what the commanders do. So let's hit on the commanders real quick because that's the last job. Yeah, uh, you have this very high pick. In theory, it is either Drake May or Caleb Williams, um, and I don't see any reason why it would be anything. They are two. So even if the Bears take the first pick, they trade it whatever you should at least get drake may or they can talk themselves in the jane daniels i wouldn't i i think the rankings correct williams one may two uh daniels three i agree uh but they have i mean they're in the texans position last year where they're going to be guaranteed somebody good right. stop hating lovey smith for winning a game they're still going to get someone good exactly. and they might have lucked out and it looks like they might have got the better guy <laughs> yeah. but we'll see how this is for washington but they've got at least one of those two guys 
Other than that, though, they've got one of the worst defenses you can find in the Ooh, NFL. It's bad. The deep, they tr- they were not good defensively. Then they traded their best defensive guys inexplicably. They just dis- they decided they they were not tanking hard enough. They did. It's like they didn't want to back into a couple. Tank wins, harder, right? Yeah. I mean, seriously, that's what it was. They wanted to make sure we were one of the worst two or three teams. We want this. We want this quarterback. So. No defense, but you will get hopefully your quarterback in the future. It makes it semi appealing. I think it's more appealing than Carolina's job, for instance. For instance, yes. um, they're not going to get Ben Johnson. Not me, Slowick. They're out. So I know they're still going to interview Aaron Glenn of the Lions. They, the reporting actually right. yesterday was that they were in route to interview the both, yes. and then Ben Johnson's <laughs> like, "No, nah, I'm good. Don't come. Like, I'm staying." Right, and then Aaron Glenn's like, "No, I still want to interview. I, I, come on. I would like to. I would like to interview yeah. for the job. Thank you." <laughs> so Glenn's a candidate. Have you heard about other names, Canada? Uh, Antonio Weaver, uh, who is the defensive line coach for the Ravens. Uh, I see. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know enough about him, but maybe yeah, not. Yeah. Um, he he also interviewed with the Falcons. I think okay. he has a lot of experience okay. around the league. Um, Have they interviewed the enemy? No, I did not see where they interviewed Eric, okay. uh, EB. So I'm I'm not sure about that. That's see I I yeah. I, mean, I know the offense I, was not overly productive, but also right. they was it a roster issue? Yeah. I I like Beanie's scheme. I I tend to think that at this point th- this year was not good enough for him to now prove the the he's doubters coach, wrong. Yeah. But yeah, Need to maybe see he's that. just a, a lifer coordinator. Right. Uh, TP saying they have not interviewed Beanie. Yeah, um, so. That's, so uh, that I just thought of him because he was being interviewed the couple right, years prior. Right, and I, I, uh, and then uh, I think Dan Quinn had a had an interview as well. And uh, I just don't know what that's yeah, supposed to I do just, for you. I just don't know what that's. Yeah, I agree. I would want a young offensive, offensive mind guy. to grow with my number two overall I quarterback. Fully, I fully agree. So I don't know. I don't know where Washington because even Glenn wouldn't fit that. Right. I, I mean. Nope. They, Defense. I, I, they're all three of the guys that they have in their final are, are defensive guys. So I'm not very sure what they're gonna do. They sound like they're messing kinda this up. Sorry, mom. Kinda, they're messing this up. Kind of seems like they're like getting left in the wind at this point. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, Slowick uh, back yeah. and Ben Johnson decided to go back and. I, 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 and I don't even think the job is that unattractive, honestly. It's not even like you're dealing with David Te- – or not, excuse me, not Tepper. Uh, I mean, it's not like you're dealing with Tepper. Well, and also, yeah, you're, not dealing, version, yeah. you're not dealing with Dan, uh, yeah, with Dan Snyder anymore. So it's And that new ownership group really wants to win. I mean, it's got Magic Johnson in that ownership group. I think that's relatively trustworthy, somebody that you're figuring out to build a roster. You have a new GM as well. So everything is fresh. Everything is new. Yes, the roster is bad, and you got to – figure out how to get get things going in a positive trajectory but i think you're just i think washington's starting from scratch so somebody's got to do the job uh and yeah it might stink for a few years but in the positive lighting it's not like you're going to be losing as long as you show improvement year to year obviously that's the key you're going to be pretty safe because obviously everybody knows that you're starting really, yeah. really from the ground. Yeah. From the ground. So you're going to get at least three years. At least three. Well, that, and that's why I worry about the hire that we just talked about with McDonald in Seattle. He's a young guy, but they need to win right now with their quarterback situation and with yeah. if they're being discontent at 10 and 9 wins the last two years, wanting a youth movement yet not changing the roster into a youth right. roster right. that's conflicting 
style yeah. there. But. And they have that youth on the defensive side of the ball, so I wonder if they'll just kind of They just hope slowly, he develops that and yeah. Well slowly yes, develops that on the defense, yes, but also like slowly retool on the offensive side of the ball, like maybe maybe draft Michael Penix. See what he see what he does, you know. Maybe see if he's kind of decent, kind of as a backup replacement to Gino. See how that played. Gino yeah. is say whatever you want about Gino. He's a good dude, and he obviously knows. I'm sure he knows. You know, he, he's probably uh, probably not going to. You know, he's not going to always be the guy in Seattle. He did have a resurgence, and that's always good. They did give him a new deal. I think they gave him a three-year extension on on a contract. So he will have that remaining years. Uh, I guess that what that leaves two more years on this contract that I guess if he's on yes. the contract yeah, now. Yeah, he'll be 34 in October, and he'll have so, two years left. Yeah, so, so he'll be 36 by the time this contract's up. If you draft Michael Penix Jr., you have two years to develop him. If you can find a quality coordinator that's able to do that, you already have talented wide receiver. You have DK Metcalf. Lockett is getting up there a little bit, but you have Jackson Smith and Jigba, and uh, and you also have Noah Fant. Uh, so you you have talent yeah. on the offensive side of the ball. Kind of got to shore up the O line a little bit. That's got some issues, but other than that, I I think I think you're in a decent spot if you play the cards right. If you're McDonald. That's kind of where I'm thinking. If if you, but I, I mean, I would say Penix would fit. Okay, I've got I've got one name I thought of. Okay, an offensive guy that's not been mentioned. Ironically, same organization that just lost a coordinator. Oh, Munkin. What about Todd Munkin? See, I haven't really heard his name that much either. It's he, just again the Falcons, right? Did, <laughs> did interview. Did He's a warm body that's having success right now. Yeah, so uh, I I find that interesting as well. Uh, I I wonder if he's going to stay in a coordinator position or if he truly wants to be a head coach. But because um, again, looking at his resume, he's not. Is he young? I don't know. No, I, he's not. Yeah, but he's, he's not never had the opportunity. So okay, he is okay. now fifty-seven. Right. Uh, and here's his. I'm going to leave. Ah. We have time. I'll go through the whole. I'm going to start after his Law Tech days in 2001. Okay. Passing game coordinator, Okie Doke State, 2002-2004. Passing game coordinator, LSU, 05-06. Wide receivers for the Jaguars, 07-10. Back to Oklahoma State as the full-fledged offense coordinator and quarterback, 11-12. Southern Miss head coach, 13-15. Then Buccaneers offensive coordinator, wide receivers, 16-17. And, uh, and it's just straight OC and 18 for Bucks. Browns OC in 19, Georgia OC 20 and 22, right. Ravens OC this year. I think that Browns 19, I think that's the good Baker Mayfield good Baker. year. What, what year? What did you what 19, maybe it was yes. 20. No, I think it was 19. 19? Yeah. It was 20, it was, 19 or oh, 20. 19 or 20. TP thinks it's 20. I'll okay. do research. But Browns OC for a year, then went to Georgia and Ravens this year. So kind of different offenses yeah. all over the place. Definitely. Um Pretty adaptable. I can though. tell you the Bucks years. That was Jameis. That was a lot of yards. It was a lot of turnovers. Yeah, <laughs> it's right, a lot of yeah, yards. Right, yeah, yeah, but um, shoot, we all know Jameis can see. <laughs> right, someone's down there. Uh, so, I I, I think that uh, it was twenty twenty was the big Baker okay. Mayfield year. Okay. Uh, but I think that for him, that's a guy that's about. It's either now or never. Yeah. If you if he's ever going to get a head job. Right. Right. If you're looking for an offense guy, maybe it's a reach. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I just I'm just trying to yeah. give you an nah, offensive yeah, name yeah, because yeah. now that Slowick and Johnson are off the board, and it Brian Johnson's not in that, line for that, he's just going to be yeah, getting someone else's OC job yeah. this year. I don't know. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. It could could 
could certainly be interesting. Not sure if he's even fully. Yeah. yeah. If, if he Again, I'm not implying that, that he is. Right. I'm just saying that's no, someone no, I, hear you. I, I would hear you. consider. Right. Right. For sure. I, again, he, as one of the options for the Falcons, was somebody that I did think about because it's like, well, runs offense, older yep. guy. Didn't know. I didn't know he had never been a head coach before. But right. interesting. Maybe you should get yeah, a chance. Could so. give him a chance. Okay. But I wasn't like in love with it, so sure. maybe Washington yeah. feels the same way. But I'm, I would just ask them as the last team standing here: right. Are you truly in love with anything going right. on now that the two youngest, they, hottest names said yeah. no? Maybe Vrabel's not the fit because of timeline. Yeah, you know, because I, I mean, I still think Vrabel's the very best available. The guy's still available, right. but I'm not saying that makes sense everywhere. Right. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to say this name. Everybody can laugh. Uh, there's no reason Bill Belichick should be hired. No, that does not make any sense. No, um, you know, he's not. on. He would be on a very short win now timeline. He, yeah, he, he would be the Cowboys coach. Yes, if if, if, McCarthy if gets, they moved on. Yes, uh, and that's where uh, if Jerry wanted to do that, if that's the direction one, if he's like, I've got t- two or three more years of this, we need to do it now. That would be his move. But yes, I agree. Um, it's really the only place that he fits, in my opinion. Yeah, but so Washington last job remaining. We will see. If, though, if that organization moves quickly here or if this will continue to drag on. We need to take our final timeout of the show. When we come back, we'll wrap things up with the Sports Call Nightly TV Guide. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger couple minutes of sports call today tiger 95.9 ryan lavoy tom Peavy, cam barry with you here just had a good chat about the state of nfl head coaching circles i'll be excited for draft season man i know that maybe maybe i'm just i'm not trying to wish away basketball season or anything like that but just in terms of the nfl draft this year i think because of the uniqueness of having the same team with two top 10 picks at (sighs) one and nine so uh, with having a legitimate quarterback crop, again, let's be honest. Last year, eh. uh, you know, it was pretty good. Yeah, top two or three, top two or three, but pretty big drop off. Like Levis as your three is a little concerning. Now Richardson might end up being pretty yeah, good, Richardson but might be him. And then the year before that was awful. Awful. You did not like anything about very anything bad. there. Very very bad. Uh, so you know, again, I don't want to sell last year's nothing, but this year. I I love two. I like two more, and I have a thought about two more. So that's about okay. six guys that I think could end up being stars in the NFL. Yeah. Two that I think will be top seven or eight guys. Two I think will at least be average to above average, and two more that I think could make it. So I agree. that's and that's a pretty darn good quarterback crop. So uh, really excited once we get to that part of the year. Of course, we've been talking about the head coaching side of things here the last few minutes and one job remaining after the hire of Mike McDonald today 
by Seattle, who was the Ravens' D.C. Of course, Auburn Vandy is on the docket tonight, 8 o'clock in Neville Arena. Of course, tomorrow we will be recapping that one for you. Do want to go ahead and let you know tomorrow is a shortened show. Uh, Borgard High School basketball final regular season games of the year tomorrow night at 5 o'clock. So we'll be getting off air between 4.30 and 4.40 or so tomorrow. So do want to go ahead and let you know that. And we have been in the process of finalizing the area tournament schedule, uh, which will cause another short show on Monday. Uh, and all of our teams will be playing Friday through Monday, so we'll keep you updated on all of that as well. Final minute or two of the show today. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Six o'clock on ESPN two men's college basketball. Uh, two struggling teams, especially Notre Dame, as they go to Virginia. Virginia not quite having the year that they're used to. That's, again, 6 o'clock ESPN2. You got Wichita State going to Tulsa, 6 o'clock on ESPNU. I can also tell you from following the American this year, Wichita State has uh, fallen far the last couple of years of what they used to be. But that one's 6 o'clock on ESPNU. Really great endorsements of our first two yes. <laughs> games on the TV guide. Uh, 6.30 National Hockey League. They're about to go to the All-Star break, but before they do, 6.30 on TNT is the Los Angeles Kings and the Nashville Predators. Again, 6.30 TNT. 8 o'clock ESPN2. That's where you can find number 16 Auburn taking on Vanderbilt as Auburn tries to get off the schneid after losing two on the road last week. And one movie pick for you, 6 o'clock on FX, it is Black Widow. That is Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Heart Seltzer. And that will do it for the show today as we wrap up this Wednesday edition of the show. Had a lot of different stuff for you today. Again, reminder, tomorrow will be a shortened edition of the show, getting off air about 4.30 or 4.40. Cam Berry, thank you for being here today. We will not see you on Friday. I hope you have a very good weekend and uh, travel safe. We'll see you again next week. Appreciate it. See you next week, man. And Tom Peavy, thank you for being here today and throughout this week. I hope you have a great rest of your week, sir. We'll see you again next week. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Again, that does it for the show today. And, again, we will be back on air with a shortened edition of the show tomorrow. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For TP Hammock running the board and for Tom Peavy and Cam Berry, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Wednesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.